developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. G, 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 take me away. Yes, welcome to episode 24. You hear this noise? This is what I live with. They're doing construction in my building and it's driving me insane. All right, I won't subject you to this anymore. Let's kick on the music. That is a sample of my life every morning at 7.30 until about 5 p.m driving me mad and that is why there's no opening bit this episode because i am underslept and overworked tried to make a bit happen last night you know i take the audio and i cut it up kind of like william burroughs popularized with his cut up technique used by david bowie and uh kurt cobain you cut up little fragments of newspaper and rearrange the words to make something that you like I do that with the audio, and then I write something around it, hopefully fun, hopefully funny, and uh, try to make the magic happen last night, and it just didn't, because fear set in that it was uh, getting to be about 3 in the morning, and there would be construction at 7.30 a.m., and that fear scared the muse away. That's, That's the excuse I'll give. How about that? So this episode, we have comedian mike kaplan that's myq kaplan and he's been on all kinds of late night shows last comic standing america's got talent he's got his own netflix special comedy central special it's a good conversation we talk about all kinds of stuff ayahuasca comedy creativity relationships all kinds of stuff it's a good one he's got a very active brain If you're in New York City on Friday, come see us both at Hi-Fi in the East Village. You'll hear there's a construction worker kind of coming through at some point, so we had to pause and come back. There's a little, little break, but I think I smoothed it out. I hope you enjoy this episode with me, Matt Kaplan, and Mike Kaplan. Double Kaplan action. Enjoy. I'm just going to send one email. How exciting. <laughs> Get ready. You can tape it if you want. I'll type real hard. Butter flavored oil. 
Mike, thanks for uh, thanks for coming here. There'll, there'll be a little intro before this so people know. Ba-da, ba-da. <laughs> that song we don't have the rights to, probably. I don't know what it was. Okay. Uh, sorry. Speaking Let's, of songs, we yeah. we're in a basement surrounded by musical instruments, and I saw or read somewhere that you started as a musician. I did. Uh, almost. I started my whole life as a musician. My parents were both music teachers, and oh, wow. I, I was made to play the violin, or it was like... You know, I was incepted with the idea by my mother, like, you'd like to play the violin, and yeah. you're four, so you're like, yeah, you've never led me astray before. And then uh, I was like, I don't really like it. She's like, but you agreed to it. How like, long did you play for? Uh, I mean, I still do sometimes. I I didn't love it at all. It's, uh, it is like, it is the hardest instrument for a kid to start on, because most instruments you can get a tone out of. Violin, oh, yeah. you can't even get a tone. No, you... Sounds horrible. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, if you have a piano, you're either hitting the right note or you're not. But on a violin, right. you could be hitting things that aren't even notes. Uh, but yeah, so I did that for a while. But yeah. then it's like like a language, you know. When, and you're a kid, you don't even know. You don't care that it sounds bad. Uh, so it is kind of the, also the best time to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I know some people who are learning as adults, and they're like, I know that it sounds bad, and I want to get better. But the way that I get better is to make it sound bad for even longer. And you also have that childish, like that fearlessness of a child of, oh yeah, I'm not scared to hit a wrong note. It's okay. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I definitely got good at it, but didn't like, well, I was made to do it so much I, for, you know, hours, hour, hours and hours every week. Uh, but then when I was in high school, I picked up the guitar and it was real easy to play the guitar after playing the less easy violin. Yeah. Did you try any other instruments in between? Uh, no, the, I think the, the, I mean, I actually did, my dad taught, uh, like saxophone among other things. And so he taught me a little bit of saxophone. Did you all jam as a family, play music? Uh, the whole jam family. Yeah. Uh, it's like a know, hippie dream. I don't think we did. My parents did get divorced. Uh, <laughs> not, <Wrong> no, <laughs> <laughs> not over the music. I don't think I was like, this kid is not good enough <laughs> at the saxophone. So I'm out of here. Um, they fought, that was their big fight. Your mom wanted you to play violin. Your dad's. <laughs> <laughs> no horns yeah. i mean my dad now uh doesn't teach music or play as much at all anymore he's uh he's gone his own way uh where'd he go what's he doing Com- uh, it's he, comedy did he go into comedy yeah, yeah that's what he, he he was just like me I he followed. teaches comedy yeah yeah that's right uh those who can't uh do raise a child um but uh no he uh, he teaches he still works in education at uh, diff- uh one or more colleges uh and he, he has also has some he does a lot of things. He has like a math app business now. Uh, math app, like yeah, a like, iPhone app. Ah, uh, yeah. Wow, interesting. Yes. Yeah, so, How's it doing? Uh, I'm not. I I never know. You don't. You, you don't even have it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm sure I do. I'm sure I have it. It's not just a calculator, right? That comes with your phone. Uh, no, I think that that sounds right. That sounds right. A calculator. My dad invented the abacus, if you will. Uh, abacus dabracus is the magic words that power the abacus. And yeah, so he now uh, he's been like a sort of college like counselor. Uh, and he's also taught math classes and other like skills classes and things for people. I so he's, he's this interesting because there is a math music combination. There is. He, you can take the music out of the life, but you can't take the math out of. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> One four five. Oh yeah. Sorry. Are you guys musicians both yourselves? We are actually. Or together. Yep. But are you in a band? Uh, we've played together, but never yeah. officially. What's the name of your band? Uh, we have different bands, and I'm not really playing much. I'm just focusing on comedy. There's okay. only so many hours in the day. What's the name of your comedy? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes good, sometimes ah. Eh. Do you guys know Pat O'Shea, the comedian? 
I know the name. He's, he started out in Bo- He was like one of the guys who was in Boston already doing comedy when I started. And he had a great joke. It's great that you can just go on, a, on podcasts and tell people's other jokes. people's jokes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't do that in your. I mean, you can do it in your regular life. Just anywhere but on stage yourself as yourself. You should do that though. Just be like, yeah, did you guys ever hear this joke by Pat O'Shea? <laughs> It's, we're, we're actually going to edit out. Great. We're going to edit. <laughs> Just release his joke. We're going to uh, edit yeah, out yeah. the part where you give it him credit. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's actually, <laughs> it'll be almost impossible to do that based on the nature of the joke, but it's about how he used to be in a band. All paraphrasing, I'll say. What if I put my name in for his? But he says, uh, like, he used to be in a, a band, and I forget the name of it, but he's like, we'd have t-shirts that say, like, you know, like, like stupid puppy, dirty puppy. So uh-huh. it was something puppy, I remember. Skinny puppy? Uh, it wasn't snarky puppy, because that's a real band that is my girlfriend's favorite band. But mm-hmm. it was something twisted puppy, I think it was. Nice. And people would be like, hey, twisted puppy, what's that? He's like, oh, it's the name of this band that I'm in. You should come see us. We're real good. Well, so not a, he was one of those guys that wore his own band t-shirt. I mean, just, that's in, in the world of of the joke that's what's happening right. but it's cool it's cooler than where the rest than the next part of the joke don't uh, don't get too far ahead it's like okay. now i'm doing comedy like i can't wear a shirt with my face on it and people are like pat o'shea who's that oh it's just the name of this guy that i am <laughs> you should come see me i'm really good <laughs> that's the awkward thing about selling merchandise as a comedian you can't mm. quite I mean, it takes a lot of, uh, it takes a real deflation of the ego to sell shirts with your name and face on it, I think. And it all, and or an inflation of the ego to, to have, to be like, here are the shirts. It's an interesting thing. It's like, I never know which way to go with it. Cause yeah, like people with big egos tend to, uh, gloat themselves up a lot. But it's I like the the way that you said that to gloat themselves up a lot. <laughs> it came out. I'm they like, get all gloated. That, yeah. yeah, get all gloated and we, bloated. But we totally get what you mean. But, but I think you're the first person to ever say those words in that order. Nice. Matt, do you agree? I agree. I've never heard it that way. To gloat yourself up. New phrase here. Love it. There you go. Yeah. But and then there's people with no egos that just do things so freely. Uh, I mean, if we're if we're going to talk about it, which it seems like we are, <laughs> I I've never I haven't sold T-shirts, not because mm-hmm. I I'm like, I'm too something to sell T-shirts. Like there are many people who do t- do sell T-shirts and have sold T-shirts that I like. Yeah, we could yeah. probably name a number of wonderful comedians who have great merchandise beyond CDs. Yes. Like, there are people who don't even sell CDs or like, ah, I don't I mean, part of it for me is just not wanting to carry. A, I actually had. I've I've got on two tours with my buddy Zach Sherwin, where we printed up explicitly just for that tour. Oh, cool! The, like, the first cor- tour was called Tyrannosaurus Rex, so it was a picture <laughs> of us running away from a dinosaur. And the second tour was called Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh, and so it was a similar T-shirt. Any faces on the T-shirt? Uh, I mean, both of us are pictured running away from the T-Rex, which also has a face. Very nice. And so, so sometimes when I'm wearing the shirt, which actually might lead into another thing that you want to talk about. Uh, Zach is a guy who I sometimes, when I go to, uh, ayahuasca ceremonies, mm-hmm. uh, I will like, they, they tell you, they don't tell you explicitly like what you have to wear, what you should wear. They're like comfortable clothes. There's some people with like long flowing robes, like, like a lot of light, like sort of angelic sort of figures, you know, really beautiful. Like, uh, I have these sort of, you know, pants that look like the universe, but purple now. Uh-huh. Those uh, are ayahuasca pants. Yeah. Those are my ayahuasca <laughs> pants. Uh, and like different, you know, sort of Peruvian, like South American style things. And but I will also wear uh, a hoodie that Zach gave me because even uh, often we'll do them at, in the same place and same time. But more often, probably, you know, he lives in L.A., so I do them in New York without him. But I'll wear this shirt that he gave me, and mm-hmm. also under it, I'll wear 
uh, one of the one tour shirt that we didn't sell that I kept, uh, which is us. And so sometimes, like when I'm wearing that shirt, people will be like, especially if we're together, like, "Hey, that looks like you guys on that shirt." And I'm like, "It is us guys." And I'm like, "How did that happen?" And I'm like, "Oh, we went on a tour." Especially because people don't know that we are performers in the context. You're just of, really good friends that made a t-shirt. That, yeah, hey, I mean, you can make a t-shirt too. Get a buddy to draw you and a friend running from a dinosaur, or that's kind of our thing. Whatever you want. It's when we went out to get a burrito together. We had a t-shirt made. Absolutely. Ooh, a T-Rex shirt. Within the circle, was there like a dinosaur sitting next to you, being like, uh, "I'm on a shirt." Too here do you know that's fun i i like i, I like his i like his tone and attitude yeah. he's not gloating himself up you know uh the the answer to that silly question which i'll answer seriously is one of the first couple times that i did it i remember when it was either the first i say one of the first three times i had maybe i'd been watching like a lot of game of thrones uh prior to that recently uh, but I definitely had some sort of like bir- dragon birth imagery where I felt like there wasn't a dragon next to me, but I felt like I was like coming out of a dragon egg being born to uh, this. Was this while you're in the ayahuasca? Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Can we, can you tell us, I have a friend that's done it quite a bit. Sure. And, um, that's true. <laughs> I'll confirm that. Can you tell, what's the best thing you got out of doing ayahuasca? Um, that's a very, uh, complicated, qu- not a complicated question. It's a simple question, but the answer is much more complicated. Uh, I guess to answer it as simply, it's going to sound very broad because I've done it uh, like more times than I can count now. Mm-hmm. And every like, time I get something out of it, and frequently it's a different thing. Wow. Uh, so it's still helping you grow as a human. Oh, yeah. I don't think I would do it if it wasn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess may- maybe I would just because if it made me feel, you know, just blissful every time. But it doesn't, it more often not does contain a component of feeling blissful. But part of that is, uh, practically speaking, gaining like sort of life lessons or clarifications of things it's because it's not a it's not a necessary thing like many people can live their whole lives without experiencing it until uh you die and dmt floods your brain and then you (laughs) become non-existent slash all of existence again i want to hear your story a story about it but i'm curious do you think of it as a drug they call it uh medicine where it comes from Mm -hmm. uh and it's uh some people call it a sacred plant Mm -hmm. the the guide that i've gone to exclusively so far uh he he'll say it's some people call it sacred but the things that are sacred are like love self-love life like the things it he says it's a tool Mm -hmm. uh and so i would say that it's a tool i mean if you're if you're gonna give me a definition of drug then sure that i'm sure it qualifies but the a joke that i say in my act when i talk about it is uh it's a drug if the last supper is a snack (laughs) <laughs> that's because yeah, that's how I think of uh, drugs too. You can it's how you use them. You can use them as tools, or you can use them as a, just a way to escape. I just heard that's I literally just heard from Zach. Zach's been listening to some uh, podcasts featuring lectures of Ramdas. Yeah, familiar. Mm-hmm. Ramdas once said, and I'm sure other people's have other other people's have made <laughs> this this points as well. Uh, but I heard from Zach, who heard from Ramdas, that directly. Some people, wow. I mean. Through a podcast, a Ramdas pod, that some people use drugs to escape, and others use drugs to explore. Oh, that's good. 
And I mean, that's just a very simply put way, because when people say don't do drugs, you know, for kids, like you're like, don't do drugs. Like, because, you know, hey, some of them, I think it's much more responsible to be like, here are the ones that will literally kill you, probably, if you don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. or even if you do know what you're doing. Like, you know, kids, don't do heroin right. immediately until you're like about to die and then be like, well, now I can probably do it because what's it going to do? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a thing that, you know, I think I advocate doing research and mm-hmm. like, I'm not, I'm not a person, I'm sort of a, you know, I didn't do any drug. I didn't smoke pot till I was 24. Mm. Uh, I listened to my parents mostly when they were like, don't smoke, don't drink, don't do drugs. Uh, and I still, you know, I never really drank that much, mm-hmm. but, or I learned from the first time that I drank too much. Uh, you know, fortunately, I woke up only, I woke up, uh, but... Just, you, you blacked out from drinking? Yeah, I, like, I was with some buddies, I was, like, 19, uh, we were in Montreal, so I was drinking legally, and that's probably what, I was, like, a very, I was a rule follower, a uh-huh. lot. I mean, well, how do you rebel against two parents that are music teachers, I mean? <laughs> I mean, I mean, they are still teachers, so I guess the way I've done it is by having a job that doesn't, you know, come with a 401k, right. and doesn't have a retire, you know, doesn't prepare yeah. me, like, that. I don't know where I'm getting my money six months from now. Exactly. And that was a thing that There my, you go, yeah. mom and dad, I have total insecurity <laughs> financially, how do you like that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, you know, I think I liked the idea of, oh, I, I mean... I drank a little at college, like when I got there, but I was like, I didn't really like the taste of it. I didn't really care about it. And, but then I was like, oh, I'm with my acapella group. Right. Like we were on tour and we went to Montreal and, uh, and so we were at a bar and we sang and people like bought us be- like pitchers of beer and not everybody drank. So I'm like, well, I don't want to, like, I don't want anything to go to waste. So I'll drink this horrible tasting stuff that I don't like at all. And they just kept coming. Cause there's a limited supply of alcohol. So yeah, you don't want to waste it. I mean, <laughs> the, I, I, at the time I, and I still, you know, I, I think I just saw a thing. I was at a Angelica kitchen. I mm-hmm. think I, I don't know why I've always called it Angelica's kitchen, but looking at, at it on 12th yeah, street. Yeah. On 12th yeah. street, it looks like it doesn't have. Have a, an apostrophe S. It looks like it's just Angelica Kitchen. You've been eating at the wrong restaurant this I, whole time. Are there two of them? Oh man, sorry guys. I mean, I hope they're both good. But in the bathroom, there was like an old timey, like you know, a wartime from like probably maybe like World War II, like a poster that says like you know, food is a weapon. You know, like order how much you know, be careful how much you order. Right. Eat everything you order. Like don't let anything go to waste because that's. Uh, and so that's a mindset, you know, that I, I grew up during World War II, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've always <laughs> felt that way. You know, like, I mean, I, I like... You not, look great yeah, for your age. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, that's the ayahuasca. I normally don't, uh, you know, I try not to waste food. I try to, if I, you know, be like, this is what I'll want. Or mm-hmm. like, you know, wait. But so in this case, people kept sending over beer. And I'm like, you know, there's children starving in Ethiopia without any beer. So, uh, obviously <laughs> you did it for them. You I, martyr. <laughs> yeah. I held it in my mouth and I'm like, I'll see if I can get there. Uh, but yeah, no, so I, I drank, you know, like a, a double digit number of drinks, which is something that I've uh, not written. I don't think ever done since because I, you know, sort of not blacked out, but passed out, you know, like I sort of like at the next strip, we went to a couple strip clubs and at one of them, I just like laid my head down right. and went to sleep and then woke up and threw up and then went, went to sleep for real in a bed and then woke up with the worst, you know, migrainey kind of hangover. And I was like, Oh, I get, I get why 
don't drink means don't drink that much. Right. It's not the alcohol. It's the fact that you did too much of it. Right. And so then with, then I finally, at some point when I was dating somebody who was like, marijuana can be good and not harm. And I knew that at that point, I'm like, I'm in my twenties. I know that pot won't kill anybody. Yeah. I know that maybe it can, you know, kill a creative drive. But my, here was the person who became my wife, uh, who was saying like, I use it creatively. It it enhances my creative drive. I mean, there's so many examples of even just pot. Like some people, pot makes them sit on a couch and not do anything. Some people, pot makes you the Beatles, you know, or, yeah, like or enhances great, your yeah. beatliness. It's hard to uh, support uh, a sober, totally sober life when you listen to all the great music you listen to is uh, inspired by that or influenced by it. And so like similarly, uh, you know, like so just the if people make people want to have really like sort of like headlines that like tell your kids do tell your you know yourself as an adult like these are the this is right this is wrong this will be good this will be bad uh but you know historically that is not and and actually that's not how things go and so yeah so ayahuasca so i there, it's one of the only things that i i know almost nobody who would be like yeah it's a part anybody who does it right. who's like it's pretty sweet huh it's an exploration yes and you're still exploring it you've done it over 20 times to say probably yeah okay so what what would what what do you get out of it a friend of mine told me a whole story where he saw demons emerge from his body mm mm-hmm. And he felt like they were very real. And uh, the shaman that kind of led it just I was beating a drum. And I guess the shaman saw the demons as well. And they chased them away. And my friend came back like totally, almost like lighter. He seemed lighter. Did he say what the demons represented to him, if anything? He didn't know what they represented, but it felt like he was purging some sort of evil. And he saw them in like a physical form. Do you think that... Uh, he did he seem different to you yes he does seem different but it's hard to know because you know like everyone's constantly evolving anyway is he sure, no sure. longer murdering people he, he did uh, stop murdering okay. yes he only hurts people now okay. well i'll say that. one of the first one of the first stories that i heard uh i think i heard the story before i did it was from my friend who introduced me to it who you know got me connected with the people uh that i've still been regularly meeting mm-hmm. with uh, he, he's a guy who identified as an angry guy, like, you know, and for most of his life. Mm-hmm. And then he had one, one experience with ayahuasca. And, uh, after that he felt like he just wanted to let go of his anger. And that a lot of it was based on his, how his father had raised him, uh, sort of as a, probably as a sociopath, like not raised him to be a sociopath, <laughs> but the, his father had uh, tried to poison him at one point Whoa. Uh, or maybe more than one. And his father just pushed people away and, you know, was this, you know, really, and, and but he's still married to his mother and his mother is sort of, you know, like a hostage kind of, but she's, you know, willing, like she could leave. Hopefully that at least caused a rift in the marriage that you tried to poison my son. <laughs> I mean, I, I probably it came up, but, uh, but he, he, th- came out of it thinking like you know i i wanted to get as far away from my dad as possible but now i want to try and like reach him with love and but one of the experiences that he had like when he was sometimes you know you purge uh mm-hmm. they'll call it cleaning sometimes like you, you're given a, a practical bucket to, that's the shitting and the throwing up uh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think that more the more the throwing up uh like you're everybody's given a usually you can get to the toilet if you need to use the toilet you can yeah yeah okay it uh you know you'll you'll feel it's it feels like it normally feels in your body but 
like for throwing up, uh, everybody's given a bucket uh, in case you need it. And it usually lasts like a minute or two, yeah. if, if at all. Yeah. Uh, I'm not freaked out by vomiting. Sometimes it's just a quicker, easier way to pee. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, sometimes it's necessary. Like, you know, yeah. the, the, they say that the plant gives you what you need and what you want. And sometimes, you know, your body, same thing, like needs and wants to do certain things or is, gets it out. And sometimes it helps it kick it into gear. Like it goes uh-huh. into your body, it, you know, jumbles around and then you're like, get out, bad stuff. And so my friend Jason uh, said that this one time uh, his father, he rem- he had a memory of his father uh, beating him and hitting him in the head and g- giving him a scar because his father was wearing this ring, this specific ring that he wore all the time. And uh, when he was, when Jason was vomiting into the toilet, he, he went to the he went. He didn't just use the bucket. He was fine. He went into <laughs> it, and uh, he saw when he vomited. He saw himself vomiting up that ring, so like oh, wow. literally expelling. You know the, the. He's like, I'm half of that guy. You know, I I want the stuff that is that guy uh, to be out of me. Right. Uh, so I haven't had anything like as like on the nose metaphorical mm-hmm. like that. There was one time when I, th- there are guidelines for diet leading up to it. Uh, like I'm vegan in general, yeah. Uh, but they say for like three days before, sometimes up to a week before, like, you know, the, the more purely uh, you treat your body, you know, as far so as no, like, no meat, no meat, no dairy, no, no fried stuff, no fried stuff uh, for, you know, for a few days before. Yeah. And uh, cooked food is okay. You don't have to oh, eat yeah. raw. Yeah, cooked food is fine. They there's like you could look up very specifically like they say re- they recommend no citrus for what I don't know what reason but there's certain things certain chemicals or elements will interact right. with the stuff to either make you sicker or make it not stronger have a, uh, stronger or weaker you know mm-hmm. but depending um, and so I remember one and they say on the day of you know if it's happening say at nine p.m. they'll be like don't eat don't eat at all eat light in the morning and don't eat at all after three p.m. yeah. Uh, and so I remember one time I was, I had a, a ceremony at night coming up and I was, it was like two forty five, two fifty five, And I was like, I haven't really eaten today. So I like, I gobbled down, you know, I, what I hoped was the right amount of food, but uh, I was, as it turned out, might've been, uh, more than necessary. Uh, you overate. I, yeah, I, I was like, but I'm like, I'm following the rules. It's not yet three. Everything's fine. <laughs> but then it's still, you know, the, the spirit of the law uh affected me because my then during that experience i was it was only like my third one i think and my brain was like having all these like wonderful feelings uh at a certain point but my body was also sort of writhing in pain because there was too much in it and it was sort of all you know jumbling about and part of one of the epiphanies that i I, that was actually the first time that i did it with zach zach Mm -hmm. it was the first time zach did it and uh and he was having this sort of transcendent experience uh, or whatever experience he was having, right. and I was having this writhy experience. Oh no! Uh, but at a, I was also it was sort of half and half because I was like I I could get up and go to the bathroom and try to get rid of this, but I was like, but what if the bliss is like you know located here? Like you I don't, don't want to shit the bliss. That's right. I yeah. that is the thing I've said. I didn't want to <laughs> shit out the bliss. Uh, but eventually I did go and I came back and I was I felt a lot better. And so Zach later was like, what any what are the big epiphanies you came out with this time? And I was like, you should go to the bathroom when you have to go to the. Bathroom. <laughs> bathroom that's when you're on drugs or not um but you've had little epiphanies along the way but nothing major oh no no i've had major epiphanies just nothing like as explicit as that uh jason dad story like and sometimes now because i after i do one or after zach does one we'll talk to each other uh and we'll share each other we'll be compare like, demons yeah, yeah, yeah here's what i came up with here's what you came up with 
and so now they're sort of all like inter intertwined and uh, I can't say for sure. Like here's a recent thing that I had uh, a couple weeks ago is I was thinking about the concept of work and like this is viewed as work. Like, you know, it's not a, the, the guide will say like, it's not a, a party time. It's not a party drug. It's like, it's a working time, it's right, a, right. a working experience. Like you go into yourself, into your consciousness and you find it, the plant will show you like where, where to look, what mm-hmm. to do, where to work. And what, so I was thinking about the concept of work in general. And this is like this experience now, it's sort of the most communal, like religious type of experience that I engage in. Uh, Cause you're all sitting around in a circle sharing this. And even the shaman is, drinking the tea too so he's he is do you yes. call it tripping out what do you uh i mean i let's see everybody is <laughs> enjoying the the meeting in the medicine with ayahuasca he's like a meditation yeah, yeah yeah everybody is uh taking the medicine right um and so and it's sort of like you know the concept of work is seen as i think there's a lot of negative connotations with it like oh my job you yeah know? there's so many people out there if you're like hey do you do you love your job the answer is no uh that's then, why a musician's so great because you don't work a gig you play a gig oh yeah i mean <laughs> the work is play and right. the same thing for comedy and the same thing for you know a lot of people could be they are doing whatever they love yeah what they love could be being an accountant and then they're so they the fact we have this expression, the idea that work is though is good and this sort of Kantian, you know, like Kant is this guy who is like, you know, people who do good but want to aren't as good a person. They're not as good people as if you do good despite not wanting to. So like if Mother Teresa loved helping the poor, then she's no saint. Right, like, right. It's only if you're like, oh, I know I'm supposed to, so I will, even though it pains me. And I sort of, I have some jokes about it and I, I do believe, I mean, also it's not, the most important thing isn't being a good person. Like we can't control what we like and what we don't like. We can control our actions and maybe our actions can then lead to other such things. But like if somebody's a pedophile, but you know, knows that they like, I don't want to do any harm to people. Yeah. Like I know I have these feelings and these urges, uh, but I'm not going to act on them. Like, I do think that that is a, you know, they are succeeding in a greater, like they are doing more. So it's almost like you're saying, uh, giving is more, giving is, is a greater good when you're making more of a sacrifice. Oh yeah. That's, and that's the thing that I didn't get from that. This is a thing that I had thought before that I'd read about that I'd, you know, sort of learned about and thought about, but I was thinking about the concept of work and church, like mm-hmm. both things that I feel like, you know, when I grew up, it was temple, you know, like I quote unquote had to go like, you know, to Hebrew school, to Sunday school right. like for a, a little good while yeah. Yeah, to, to prepare for a bar mitzvah that I didn't need to have. But right. I thought also like violin, I wanted to like, my mom was like, do you want to do it? You get a party and presents. And I'm like, I guess I want to do it. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, uh, like, so that, but there's this negative association with it that I had, but that now I'm like, Oh, work. Like, I mean, when I'm like, I don't think of myself as having to work. Like when I started playing the guitar, that was the first time that I was like, this isn't work. This isn't practice. This is fun, enjoyment, play, learning. Well, when you put in the work and you get some gratification back, Mm -hmm. it makes it rewarding. I mean, and not even, it's not even like you put it in and then you get it back. Like putting it in is its own reward. Like have you, have you heard of the concept of uh, an infinite game versus a finite game? Like there's somebody wrote a book uh, called finite and infinite games. And the idea of a finite game is like, you know, you play a football game, somebody wins at the end of it. You play Monopoly, somebody, oh, somebody knocking. I think someone's knocking. Let's see what this is. 
pause. All right. We're doing great. Oh, it's so fun when they do construction in your building. Oh, sure. Okay. Okay. So there's this book called Finite and Infinite Games, and it talks about, you know, uh, most, you know, card games, board games, yeah. sporting events uh, are finite games because they're like, you, you win when you're done, or that's, you, that's when the winning happens. But for an infinite game, is a game like Frisbee or Catch, where the, it's, there's no ending, and the fun, the winning is doing it. Like, you're, right. not, mm-hmm. you're not throwing me the Frisbee so that, you know, for a purpose. You're, you're, that is the purpose. It's about the process rather yeah. than the product, mm-hmm. which is like uh, this summer camp that I worked at and went to as a child where the, the owner and founder had uh, studied with Maria Montessori and the kids were not made to do anything. You just go and go to, if you want to work in clay all day, Is that the that. Montessori schools? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he studied with, yeah, Maria Montessori, who was the, started the source of I went to that. one of those oh, cool. for a year, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so they, like, he, and he would always say, like, children don't like to be taught, but they do like to learn. And that's the same of, like, humans. Like, we don't, we like to, mm-hmm. you know, when I was playing the guitar on my own, I was like, I don't have to do this, so I want to do this. But when I was made to play the violin, I right. had to do it, so I didn't want to. I mean, now I'm grateful that I was made to because it, you know, provided the the grooves in my brain that I could build this other. It's embedded in that long term. Oh yeah, and so now I love, you know, I love music. I, I even love playing the violin now because I don't have to. <laughs> uh, and so similar. So I was thinking like, so that's work like work has those the negative connotations of being made to do something i have to do this right. i have to make this money i have even if it's a thing that you would be enjoying uh, and so people and so people in a kantian way revere that they're like oh yeah when you're working hard and not enjoying it then it's more worthwhile like right. oh you get you get to enjoy what you're doing all day like that is but ideally, I would want everyone to be able to enjoy what they're doing all day or get paid fairly or extra fairly for doing the things that like, because, you know, maybe nobody like has their passion as like garbage person, uh, which is that's somebody's joke that garbage. I think it's Amber Nelson. I just saw uh, uh, that it could I'm be like, a, it could be a service, though. Oh, yeah. You, prov- you feel like you're providing a service. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and so and maybe, you know, you get to work less and get paid more because you're, you know, doing something that people people mostly don't want to do or whatever but for the things that there's so many people that like you know there are people who love being an accountant there are people who love being a lawyer there are people yeah. who love and so i was thinking about the concept of like hard work and people how that's revered be like people oh, hard work that's good and for me it's not like i don't i might work a lot mm-hmm. but i don't ever think of like if something is difficult like it's not you know, I'm not obviously like, you know, I, I unshoveled my car out of snow today and that was, you know, challenging yeah. and uh and so that's like I had to I had to work to get it done and but I'm not like oh this is I'm doing I mean I do, I do feel like I have a sense of accomplishment when I'm doing it but I'm not like this is what life's about this right, hard work right. but when I'm you know writing a song or telling a joke or coming up with a new creative idea or yeah. writing like those are the things that like it's work but it's like it's not hard work it's like loving work it's playful enjoyable loving work and that's what I but think leads thing, to the best results the thing this is I think that this is a theory why many artists are unhappy is because when you're shoveling your car out, you did it. It's done. It's like a quantifiable finish and it's rewarding. You, it's a finite game. Exactly. Yeah. You got your car out, but you put in work. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't be able to do what you do traveling all over and doing shows and putting together a set. 
And that it might never be as rewarding because yeah, you've written this material. Some people like it. Some people don't. You don't get that like, oh, d I did it. My car is free of snow. I can drive it now. Well, I guess I'll, I'll answer that. And also all your other questions with... We'll get back to the Iowa. Oh, no. Wait, oh, no. This is... I'm still there. Just one uh, answer for the whole thing. Kind, <laughs> kind of. Uh, I mean, because my response to that is, number one, like, life is whether either, a, like, itself a finite game. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you don't... If you... When you die, you... Your, your consciousness dissipates. Uh, you don't get to be like, I did it. But, uh, you know, <laughs> right. you, no, also you can do that for, I would say to the person who's like, I never, I didn't, who doesn't have the job. Like I finished the car because also there's some people who might be, if your job is digging out cars, then like, oh, well now I got to do another one. Now right. I got to do another one. I got to keep, you know, ev all of life while you're working and while you're living and moving is like, Sisyphean? I mean, I, I did, I, I, I call it, uh, I called it blizzifus, uh, when, <laughs> when you shovel something off of your car, but then it just falls down yes. back onto your car. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's because yes, like while you're alive, you're, you're going to have to keep, you know, getting enough money to get food or growing enough food or get, you know, keep paying enough rent for shelter or, and you can look at it as, oh, I gotta keep doing it. Or, you know, there's a difference between only in the framework the, between I have to and I get to, you know, like you don't have to do anything. You could just, you could just die. Uh, this is very optimistic uh, outlook here. I mean, I have, I have a very optimistic outlook. I know that I am a person who has been raised with a very, you know, very pretty fortunate. Uh -huh. uh, I mean, like, you know, my parents were teachers. Like it was, we had a house and I had food and I felt, you know, I was that sheltered. sweet teacher money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just to say, like, I'm certainly, I know that there are people in the world who uh, grew up with much less than I had. Right. And so I'm not saying, like, hey, everybody, you can have the exact brain experience that I have. Yeah. Uh, but I also do know people who, you know, who started with a lot less, who have gotten to similar, you know, places of gratitude and optimism and and those are the things. Like so, here was one of the main framework uh, sort of uh, supplying lessons or uh, epiphanies or shaping things because uh, that I, that ayahuasca sort of helped me focus because it's a thing that I thought, but I'm like, oh yeah, this is like everything. Everything is this thing, um, and it's that uh, when there's a, a penny on the ground, you know, there, some people like sort of the standard thing is, Hey, that's good luck. Pick up that penny. But right. some people are like, Oh, only if it's heads up, you yep. only want a heads up penny. Like, so the, you don't want that old heads down penny. I'm like, in reality, I don't want any pennies. I don't care. <laughs> like I'm not around collecting pennies, but it's always, it's fun to find a penny, right? Like, Oh, a shiny thing on the ground. Like, Really, the penny has almost no value. So whatever value it has is built in. You can make it have whatever value you want. It makes me feel rich. I look at the penny yeah. on the ground. I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to pick you up. Exactly. <laughs> it can make you feel however you want. You can pick it up. You can make it be like, this is a good luck penny now. Whatever. It, but based on those two stories, like I prefer the one that's like the penny. If, if you want to think the penny's lucky in one or both situations, then why not think both? Why not be like the penny is the penny and that's good. And there's no bad luck and there's no hell right. and there's no negativity. Like there's nothing bad about this at all. And then if the penny is heads up, then you're like, bonus, even better. And mm. like, wow, I get more. And so almost everything in life, like life itself can be viewed as like the penny. Like, you know, you're not owed anything. Like there's nothing guaranteed. Like there's no specific obligations other than the ones that, you know, like that life has to you. Uh, you know, it'd be great that 
give it'd be great if things were fair and just and we can hopefully work towards those things i'm not yeah. saying just like take whatever comes and just like <laughs> lay down like obviously like but based on you know the the sort of uh, were you, you yeah. like this before you started doing ayahuasca? I've always been pretty optimistic and like positive focused in general, uh, but this has definitely given me you know more tools to uh, describe and explain and sort of and justify, if not to myself, uh, but mo- I mean at least to myself, if not to other people, because I, I have friends who are like I have this friend who is uh, ne- do you know this story of the the happy wolf and the angry wolf? No, it's a as far as, as I understand it, a Native American uh, like legend of some kind. I forget which uh, tribe doesn't yeah, matter exactly. I but uh, and maybe it's not even real. But uh, the <laughs> grandfather says to the lesson is yeah. real, and that's oh, yeah. what matters. Oh right? yeah, the grandfather says to the grandchild, um, "There are the in, inside of me and inside of you and inside of everyone are two wolves. One is the happy wolf. One is the angry wolf. I do know yeah, this. Yeah, the happy wolf." Uh, represents, you know, generosity and, you know, forgiveness and self-love and love for others and caring and, and optimism and, you know, lists a number of positive attributes. The angry wolf represents, you know, self-doubt and insecurity mm-hmm. and fear and hatred and loneliness and uh, all these things. And, uh, and the, the, the child says, well, which one, which one wins the battle? And the grandfather says, whichever one you feed. Right. And so, and then I hear that story and I'm like, wow, what a cool story. And I'm telling, I'm talking to this like sort of negative friend of mine and we're like, and of course the one that we would feed is, and I say happy and they say angry. Uh, (laughs) And I'm like, well, and so I'm never, I'm never going to tell anyone like who, you know, I have other friends who like, they're like, you operate on positivity. Like I operate on spite, you know, like (laughs) another comedian friend of mine. Right. Um, and I well, you've chose yeah. to be vegan, so you feed the wolf. Uh, yeah, I, don't, I mean, yeah, I, I I leave out vegetables for the wolf. Uh, I definitely. The point is, I don't eat the wolf. So, well, some people need their edge. You know, some people just can't. If they get really too positive or whatever, they have, they lose their edge. And I mean, I think that the thing is for me, like, uh, I, I here's a thing. I, I an analogy. I like I like the show Parks and Rec a lot. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a super positive show. Weren't you a writer on it? I was not. Oh, okay. But I <laughs> would have loved to be. Thank you very much. I that, do my research. That would be a that would be a really a roundabout, passive aggressive way yeah. to frame. Uh, here's a show that I loved. It was oh yeah. By the way, it's my show. Um, but I really love this uh, Comedy Central special. Oh yeah, this it's Netflix special. Comedy Central presents Mike Kaplan. Uh, but on that show, like you know, in the first season, you know, all these characters are sort of at the beginning of their, you know, character arc journey. Like, none, they're not all, like, you know, who they're going to be the most themselves. Mm-hmm. And so there's, like, a lot of interpersonal things, a lot of problems people have. But then eventually, like, over the course of the seasons, like, about six, seven, eight seasons, whatever it is, they all grow and eventually like, come to, like, sort of love each other in their way, even though there's, like, you know, some person's the snarky person and other person's the one that they all make fun of. But they all right. still, like, are as, like, a family and love each other. And then that doesn't mean that the show, I don't think the show got less funny. And I also think that the show just involved then bigger challenges that like by the last season they were like fighting you know in the beginning they're just like we got to get the town to make a you know a park out of this pit right and by the end they're like we gotta get the cunt this like google-like corporation to not destroy this national habitat right right uh, and uh, like it just you know they sort of and i think that's the way that life feels for me mm-hmm. is like when things are going okay for me like and I feel I'm feeling good about uh, things in my life, and 
like in my comedy, like when people are like, oh, don't you need like negative things and like misery to fuel your comedy? And I'm like, oh, there's plenty of misery. Like yeah, yeah. it doesn't have to be my <laughs> misery. Seek it out. <laughs> no, like you know, whatever happens. And also like, you know, you, the thing, I, this is another thing that I had recently where I thought about my favorite, like I'm never gonna, I try not to complain about little things mm-hmm. and I try not to like be overly like braggadocious about like big things. So I'm like, I'm either going to talk about like, little positive things or mm-hmm. big negative things. I'm like, these are the, like the problems worth solving the most. Like, you know, racism, sexism, homophobia, right. like people suffering, dying, genocides, like those things, as opposed to like, I stubbed my toe. Like, I mean, of course there's plenty of people who make, you know, and I'm not saying that again, this is all just for me. Yeah. Like, uh, I like, you know, the, the 10 commandments are like, thou shalt not whatever. If I wrote the 10 commandments, I'd be like, this is what I do. Here's, <laughs> here's me. Like, I don't complain about a stub toe because it's not a big deal. I complain about, you know, uh, the bigger things if I'm complaining. Mm-hmm. And then for, but on the flip side, I'm like, here's a little nice thing that happened. Like, and that you can blow up and magnify the joy out of uh, a little good thing as opposed to, you know, being like, an amazing thing happened to me. Oh, it didn't happen to you? Okay, I understand how that can make you feel bad. So the, these ayahuasca ceremonies, you they kind of helped you get in touch with feeding the positivity? Yeah, in definitely. One of, one of Zach's experiences was uh, one that now we sort of use as like sort of a, a friendship trope and also just, you know, a helpful reminder. Because mm-hmm. also like, when I said that, my friend, I'm going to get back to what that was in a second, but when Jason told me, like, he was like, I've changed. I'm not angry anymore. Like, he it, threw up the ring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he also, it's not, nothing is a permanent fix. Nothing, you know, everything always is where, like, one of Zach's first experiences, he thought about his relationship with his mother. And it really, it, it, it certainly resonated with me in this, like, we, we love our mothers, but sometimes, you know, talking to them isn't uh, a thing that makes us feel joyful every second that we're talking. You know, sometimes there are, you know, like when when anyone that you care about, uh, their foibles will exasperate you. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I'm going to do my best to not, you know, to be, I'm going to be, I'm overall grateful for my mother doing what she did for me, raising me on her own. And, uh, and I'm going to try to focus on that. And so now that, and he's talked to her about that, and, you know, obviously it's still, it doesn't ha- it doesn't help you all the time. It's not like, oh man, I, I fell down. So I'm going to just do it all the time. But it, it's, it's a helpful reminder yeah. to when those situations arise, you know, try to live up to the, the, the moment that you felt like that you could. And change your reaction to yeah, it. Exactly. Right. And so for like, same thing for Jason with his, you know, with his anger, it doesn't mean that he's never going to be angry again, but it might, you know, shift his default setting slightly. Right. So one of the things that Zach uh, had as an experience uh, at one that I, w- I wasn't at, he told me uh, that the, gui- the guide will like, uh, over the course of the hours of the ceremony, will be sort of leading and guiding the ceremony with these chants, these sort of traditional, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Peruvian, uh, they're not called, he doesn't call them songs, but sometimes he does. Uh, but they're called Icaros. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes, you know, he'll be singing and then there'll be a little break and then there'll be more singing and a little break. And during one of the breaks, Zach was feeling like sometimes the singing really does help you like, you know, follow it's he's like, follow the songs. And it really does like, you know, bring your sort of, you know, is it just the shaman singing? Uh, it is, he is singing most of the time. And then there will sometimes he'll have like assistants or helpers who will sometimes be singing with him, sometimes sing on their own. Cause sometimes I, I don't like music during meditation or yoga or something. Cause I, as a musician, I'll start to hear the, 
relative pitch of things or if the if the person if the song is bad the songs are really amazing uh and also i mean there have been times when multiple people have been singing at once and uh-huh. it sounds like they're singing they're quote-unquote meaning to sing in unison but it's slightly like they're all right. good singers but they're not their intonation's not quite there's something interesting about it and i'm like that doesn't it doesn't take me out of it. Like sometimes I wor I would worry that it would. Yeah. But it's actually just like it becomes more of the thing that's happening that I'm like, oh well, that's what's happening. Also, sometimes when your brain is real, you know, real deeply gone or deeply deep, uh, you won't even know. Like if I, you know, I don't know how many how many of them he does in the hours. Like because when it really kicks into gear, you're mostly just being, you know, being yourself. Are you thinking? Yeah. And when you say being yourself, are you having a dialogue with yourself? Uh, I mean, it's different for everybody all the time. Like sometimes for you, uh, I mean, it's different for me all the time too. Um, Sometimes like before it really kicks in, I'm, you know, more actively thinking. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes uh, like I've, there are times when I've gone like real, like if I've had, you can have either one or two shots. If I've had the second shot and then the the first shot hadn't fully kicked in yet. I'm like, oh wow, we're going on like a real roller coaster here. Now, when you're on that roller coaster, are you are you looking at yourself objectively? Are you kind of split in two, where you're observing yourself? Uh, I I don't usually observe myself, though. Sometimes I feel like I come out and I'm observing like other. You know, there's not always visual hallucinations, uh, but sometimes there are. But sometimes there's more like tactile hallucinations. Yeah. Uh, like you know, I feel like I don't know if you ever. Sometimes when I've done mushrooms, I'll feel it coming on because I feel it sort of like creeping up the back of my head right. and like grabbing my brain. <laughs> and this this will do that sometimes in even like you know more pronounced ways. Like it'll really feel like like something is grabbing me. Right. And then like launching me somewhere, even though you know because your eyes are closed. Sometimes it'll seem like you know a hyperspace journey. Sometimes it'll be like you know, these glyphs. Like you're not in the room, you're not in your body. Oh yeah. Like Zach has had times where he, he is like hurt. He's like, I know the name Zach, but I don't know who that refers to. Wow. And And do you ever get paranoid? Like you might have a bad trip. Oh no, you might have a bad trip, but I'm not paranoid about it. I know that that's a possibility. Like Mm -hmm. you can have bad times in life. You can have a bad time, but, and there's sort of these, uh, these three like uh, levels of reality that are, are sort of, I think not mimicked, but sort of represented in Peruvian lore, but also could happen arise in these ceremonies. The like the the land of the dead, I think, the underworld, mm-hmm. and then the, the the this realm, and then the heavenly realm is represented by like the the snake, the cat, and the condor. So sometimes people will have like a lot of snaky imagery in one, and that could be a darker ceremony, but or see demons. Uh, but it doesn't even doesn't necessarily mean that you're afraid of them. It, right. Like whatever you see is yours. So there's you know? a common hallucination that happens sometimes. I mean, I've had ones like and diff- different people have different animals. Like people are like, I'm a cat. I've seen sharks. Right. I've been a dragon. You know, sometimes it's not anything as like literal, you know, because it, it's the, the experience that it's most similar to is like a dream, I would say. OK, you ever get scared like, oh, no, I'm in over my head. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you'll definitely feel fear, uh, mm-hmm. at times, but the one thing that helps the most to know is that, that the guide says sometimes beforehand is, uh, like the, the effects come and the effects go. Right. Like I've definitely had mushroom trips where, you know, I didn't have that sort of guideline mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, time dilation. Uh, is it possible that I'm just going to be in this brain space 
forever. forever yes. Is this, am I in like limbo or purgatory or hell or mm. whatever it is? Will my brain never snap back to yeah. its normal state? Yeah. And I do, I mean, I do think that, so the two things that, uh, that ayahuasca gives in, at least for like for Zach and me and mm-hmm. my girlfriend also does it sometimes. Uh, and when we talk about it together, we talk about the life coaching aspects of it. Like the, you know, Oh, like the, for example, the, the thing that I haven't gotten to yet that Zach said when he's waiting, he's in between the, you know, between two songs. And he's like, really like, I want there to be another song. Like, I, I feel like I want, I've heard other people say this, like I need, I want. And he's like, you know what, you know, that, it's another reframing of the idea that like gratitude makes people happy. Like just being, you know, cause we all have, we don't, most of us don't, there's nobody that has everything. We right. don't have all the experiences. We don't have all like the, the people that we want to be with, the food that we want, the money that we could have. Like there's, if you w- look at all the things you don't have, there's billions of things that trillion, there's almost yeah. infinite things that you don't have. And the brain naturally gravitates to what we don't have. I mean, and that's probably like an evolutionary thing, like mm-hmm. to try and get more things. But as, we know now like science shows like your brain can be maximally your brain can max out on pleasure uh with like minimum you know you don't and you don't have to have everything you can't if you have everything it doesn't help yeah exactly yeah so he was he focused on the idea of this sort of nugget call that we call now thank you over please so it's like please is sort of like coming from a place of need and want and not having mm-hmm. and thank you is going to be like well you know even if he never starts singing again, even if I never feel another ayahuasca effect, even if I never, you know, he's like, I have all of the things that it's given me the times that I've done it. I have all of the love that I have in my life. I have all of the capacities that I have to move forward. Like even if nothing ever, just thank you. Thank you for the things that I have. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, we'll like, and we, we have another uh, sort of friendship trope that we call Rumpelstiltskinning, which is like, we don't like to focus on negative things when they happen, especially like minor negative things. But like sometimes like if a negative thing happens like, and we call each other, we'll be like, okay, don't want to spend too much time on this, but just to Rumpelstiltskin this negative thing real fast, this just happened. I feel better about it. And the, the meaning of that is, you know, in the story of Rumpelstiltskin, when you say the name of the negative thing, then it uh, depletes it of its power. Right. Yeah. And so you're like, okay, that happened. I can't control it. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. And then, and as opposed to just harping on it and focusing on it. So like additionally in my, you know, land, my realm of positivity, I'm not, if somebody was like, what if a bad thing? I'm like, well then feel, you know, feel the feeling, process the feeling. Don't deny but, it. Yeah. Recognize yeah. it, accept it. Uh, as part of, because of, of course, then starve it yeah. to death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you emotionally prepare before a session? Do you get in touch with yourself? These are the things that are bothering me in case they come up. I want to be aware of them. Uh, there are different, it's interesting. There's a, another quote I've heard uh, is uh, not about this, but mm. I think it's a Niels Bohr quote, but it doesn't matter. It's just a, a good quote that I like. He might not have uh, even said it. No, probably not. <laughs> He's dead. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> But it's that the opposite of a small truth is a lie, but the opposite of a great truth is often another great truth. So with respect, like, you know, for example, like be yourself, but also be open to change. Like those are things that don't mean exact, like they're kind of opposites, but they're also both true things that you should strive to do. And in this case, not would, everyone yeah. should be themselves. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Your fair point. Someone should have told Hitler, don't be yourself. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he was really being himself. <laughs> yeah, good I point. I think that could have been his problem. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or everybody else's problem. Should have stayed a painter. Yeah. That man, that's, I really, I, I sort of meant it as a joke, but yeah, sometimes jokes are true. Mm-hmm. That would have been great. I think Hitler was more of a painter <laughs> than a... This the, is, that's yeah. what happens when you don't support the arts. That's right. So, the, uh, the answer to your question... Uh, as far as preparing, like sometimes they do recommend, uh, you know, coming into it 
like, you know, sort of sitting, meditating the day if it's happening that night and like not doing a ton of things, not having like your mind be very busy, just, you know, like a simple, like a Sabbath like experience. And then not necessarily, but sometimes they do. I've heard things where people will say, have like three questions or five topics or whatever it is, and then go in. And then obviously you won't necessarily have complete control over where your mind does go. And it's, so often, like when my girlfriend first did it, she's like, I think I'll be thinking about this stuff. And then afterwards, she's like, I didn't think about any of that. I thought about all these other things. And the guide, I take more, more the line that, uh, like it will, like whatever, whatever you do to prepare, like your preparations might mean nothing. They might mean everything. So whatever's going on inside you will be, you will be directed to. Like there's, I've never had an experience where I'm like, that was a waste, mm-hmm. like where I should have done a different thing. There have been almost always, I mean, the pattern is more frequently like you do it and then you feel nervous. Like, is it too much? Is it not enough? Is this it? Is it, am I going to throw up? You know, the, the nerves at the beginning are pretty common. And then often at the end, like so frequently they lead to at the end being like, ah, okay. I'm in, I'm in the place again. This is, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I like. This is what I'm getting out of it. How long does it last? Uh, Three to four hours. Okay. Like, you know, you often will gather at like between eight and nine and then sometime in the next hour, like, you know, between PM. Like, yeah. Between nine yeah, and 10 PM. Those are my hours. You'll right. drink it. <laughs> and then, and then it'll last probably like until one, two, three in the morning, depending. Wow. And it's different for everybody. Like the ceremony will usually end, I'd say average of 2 AM. Uh, and then sometimes it'll be next morning ones as well. But, uh, but yeah, usually they're nights and then you sort of hang out and, uh, chill and mm-hmm. sort of get back to yourself. You, and there might be strangers that you haven't met before in, in your circle. Frequently. What if you just really get a bad vibe from someone? You enter circle like, oh, God, that guy. Uh, it's very rare that that happens. Uh, but also part of it is, you know, that happens in life. That happened. It can, can, it's, I think it's less likely to happen in this situation. You don't feel too vulnerable to their bad energy? There was one time, I mean, you just, I use it for me I, as like a lesson for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there was one time when I felt like afterwards we were, there was like a gathering of people and I was asking questions of a person and they were not re- being responsive to me in a way. And like, you know, I don't think they literally like turned away from me or like, but I noticed that they were having like more of a one-on-one with another person. Mm-hmm. And so I like went back to my sort of, you know, uh, yoga mat seat- seating area and thought about it. And I'm like, I could frame it like, that person, you know, what, I don't know what's going on with them, but they're, they're not, they're not for me. But also I thought about like, I wonder if I wasn't for them. Like, cause I've also, you know, talked about like everybody moves at different rates in life in general, but also afterwards, some people like want to go real slow. Some people want to like lie, just lie down and be quiet. Some people want to be like, Ooh, what just happened? I want to talk about all these things. You right, know, yeah. whereas like my friend Zach has a friend who loves movies and has sort of a, a guideline for when you watch a movie, don't talk about it while you're still in the theater. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a guideline that we sort of like to apply to this, where it's like, you know, you don't, it's not like, ding, the experience is over. Now everybody start sharing. Right. And so in general, it'll be like, you know, at your own rate, you get to decide for yourself what you're going to do, who you're going to talk to, when you're going to do it. Usually, you know, processing will happen on your own for a little while. And then like maybe the next day you'll be like, oh, my friends, here's what, but even one time, 
the guide afterwards was like, if we, if anyone would like to share as we stop, uh, say one thing. And then we went around the circle and some people said stuff and some people didn't. Mm -hmm. You don't Uh, have to. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, there's almost no rules. You ever go into it with intentions, like not, not expectations, but an intention of what you want. Uh, not really anymore. I mean, it's interesting because in the beginning when you've never done it, you, you don't, there can't be an intent. Like you can, you can think about that, but the, the most people say just like, you know, don't have any expectations, right? Come in and just, it'll do what it needs to do. Just observe. Yeah. I mean, see how it goes. And like the, the first, at least that usually the first times the, the guide will give you like a small dose to start because it might be that you're very sensitive to it and don't need a lot. But then if you're not feeling it, then he'll be like, here's some more. And if you're still not feeling it, maybe here's some more. Uh, but it compounds and sort of exponentially increases in your system. Uh, has has doing it made you change anything about your life? I mean, it's n- nothing like. I mean, I've I was all, I was already sort of living the life that I want to live. Yeah, it helps me. Like, uh, you know, in the in the goal of you know, what do I want to accomplish? Uh, like, I mean, I already, my life is already the penny. It's already the valuable thing that I want. Anything that happens to me now is bonus. Right. Like I don't need, if I, if I never had a better career year than any that I've had already, like that would be fine. Like I've been as successful as, you know, more successful than many people get to be. Right. Uh, and you're, and gra- you're grateful for it completely. And so like, well, sometimes, you know, I could look at other people and be like, oh, that person is getting, uh, this you know, career accolade or this success that I, if I got it, I'd be happy. You know, like if somebody was like, Hey, here's a book deal and a TV deal and a, this and a, that I'd be like, well, thank you. That's Mm -hmm. uh, thank you over, please. I show you. you. I I actually have done my research. Oh, sure. Sure. I respect my guests. I appreciate it. So you've been on last comic standing and America's got talent. You've been pretty much on all the talk shows too. I've been on many late night shows. And I mean, right now, the thing that I, like doing is you know just writing jokes and performing them and mm-hmm. get like right now i'm getting ready to when somebody will put down uh the money for it like produce a new comedy either special or album like mm-hmm. i mean an album's much easier to you know another do. stand-up album oh yeah you've like, got another one ready to go oh yeah i have probably two ready to go wow um but yeah i have at least i have at least one that's ready to be recorded and i just uh you know when I say, I try not to even use the words want or try, like, I mean, try is probably Yoda inspired and <laughs> want is sort of like, you know, from my understanding of Buddhism, uh, like, right, it's a oh, desire. another, yeah, another gratitude thing. I'm like, I have, okay, I have all that I, you know, first of all, I'm not a thing. Like, I'm not like, there's <laughs> no such thing as a self. Like I'm into Alan Watts. He's not a thing either, uh-huh. you know? Uh, and, but, but practically speaking, you, you do need to earn money to pay rent and all this stuff i mean it's interesting because i mean so much of our society is like uh results focused right. you know and number one i mean i again part of my but, but results focus usually in monetary terms yes i mean right now i have you know some savings in the bank that mm-hmm. if i didn't work for you know some number of months right i would still be okay and then at so, at a certain point you know like say it's Say it's six months. Say yeah. I have six months worth of sa- worth of savings before I have to start worrying about making more money. I don't count other people's money, so it's okay. Understood. Yeah. Uh, if I, you know, so far in my career and my life, the way that I've done things, 
has been successful in I've never gotten to the point where I'm like, oh no, I have to start worrying. Right. It doesn't mean that it'll never will happen. But like, you know, whenever I don't have things on the calendar, you know, beyond a couple months, uh, or, you know, like right now, I don't have, a, we're recording this in January. Yeah. In February, I don't have a lot of travel plans. So I'm like making some last minute, you know, sometimes I wait for, you know, I have an agent who books bigger things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if those don't happen as frequently as I would want them to, uh, then I will be like, hey, I'll like sort of nudge and be like, can we try to do that? And if that doesn't happen, then I'll just like, you know, do it myself and go to, you know, I, like I have some comic and booker friends throughout different parts of the country. When all these uh, good things started happening for you, did you, did it happen at a time where you felt like you were ready? Uh, I probably felt that I was ready beforehand, yeah. which is, I think, a, maybe a common experience that another sort of great truth opposite thing is like when you're starting out doing comedy, you're either or both like delusionally confident in mm-hmm. the fact that like, well, like, I mean, or, but, but also like knowing, you know, if self, so self-aware that you don't, you know, you're not good yet. So you have to have either one of those. Some people have both. Right. Like I was, I dated a girl once who's a comedian and she was great, but she's like, why would anyone come to see me when Dave Attell is a guy, you know? And I'm like, well, everybody can't see Dave Attell every night. So and you're your own person yeah, with you, your own. You might as well. I'm sure. And also, yeah, there are additionally, there's plenty of people who would enjoy you more than Dave Attell. Not, I mean, I love Dave Attell and yeah. I love uh, <laughs> Micah Fox, who is the person that I'm talking about. Uh-huh, but yeah. uh, everybody follow both of them. Uh, <laughs> they're super. But uh, so I would, I started out doing comedy, like pursuing it really in 2002. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the way I just did it for fun. Again, like I was like a, the infinite game You're of just getting to do time. it. Yes. I was also trying to do that. Uh-huh. Like for the few years before that, I was trying to do music. And I, one of the places that I would perform my music was I would play funny songs at the comedy studio in Harvard Square. Oh, so your music was always comedic. Not always. Uh, but when I performed it at a comedy club, I would just do those few. Like, it was probably half and half. Okay. Like, I, I released an album that had 12 songs on it, and probably half of the songs were comedy songs, and half of them were just, like, quirky. Mm-hmm. Like, probably, if, you know, I listen to They Might Be Giants a lot, so, yeah. like, they're not writing explicitly comedy songs, but a, a similar, there's, like, an, an overlap to that quirky genre. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I was like a combination of They Might Be Giants and Ani DeFranco. So, <laughs> which, those are the two like, artists that I listen to the most probably Because feminism up. is hilarious. Uh, you, you know it. Um, and the true thing that we should be trying to do. Uh, you know, just e- equality in general. So uh, before getting us off track with equality. Um, you I, started in 2002, yeah. seriously doing stand-up. Yes. So I, I started, I was still bringing the guitar around a little bit cause, and would finish, like if I did an open mic of five minutes, I would do a one-minute song at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But then I would do four minutes of just like, are these, is this comedy? You Were know? you trying to get the guitar out of the act? I was. Because uh, yeah. you didn't want to carry it? or <laughs> uh, I mean, I had like a Martin backpacker. It was small enough okay, that yeah. I could carry it. But yeah, I mean, that's the joking slash kind of true answer that I give is that I really got into comedy because I didn't want to carry a guitar around. Uh, but also just I loved that, you know, being able to, you know, talk, talk and make people laugh to like essentially, in a way, play the audience like an instrument, right. a, a laugh, a laugh instrument. I love that metaphor, yeah. And, and so, yeah, so I I started and I knew that I wasn't, like I knew, I knew that I, I liked what I was doing. I knew that there were some people that liked what I was doing. And I knew that some audience, I definitely thought of myself as like for some people and not for other people. Mm-hmm. And that like sort of, you know, it was fearful to go out. I was in, you know, Boston had, you know, 
like Harvard and MIT, but also like Goodwill Hunting, South Boston, you know. So you started in Boston. I did. Okay. Uh, I was there in college and grad school. Mm -hmm. And there were like certain parts, certain places where eventually when I was like, oh, people are all people. And like, obviously not, it's not just that everybody will enjoy every comedian uh, because everybody has their own tastes, but that I don't go into things now assuming that, you know, if you're a certain age or race or demographic or ethnic, you know, whatever you, whatever you are, like, I love it when there are people who don't seem like me enjoying my shows. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so. And you can't really tell a person by just looking at them. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, I've had people come up to me after shows. <laughs> uh, we, you can do, you can do it with Matt. Uh, but. <laughs> he looks exactly like he is. He's like, he's a real, he's really matting it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and so like probably by, I probably thought that I quote unquote deserved more like, Hey, why should, this is sort of like the place that I was before I, where I am now. Like I know now that I don't deserve anything on any specific merits. Like mm-hmm. if people want like that, it's sort of a flip side of the thank you over please thing. Like when you're starting out, you're just all please. You're like, please put me on your show. Please. I, right. I need time. Please. I need this. And they're like, they don't need, you know, they don't need you. Right. Right. Uh, so you do open mics and bringers and, or, you know, you bark or do whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You can get on the shows that you can until you quote unquote pr- can prove that you have something of value to bring them. Like, Oh, now like I can do this and people will laugh at it. So you'll give me money to do this. Right. And probably about like four years in is when I felt like, you know, more confident. Right. Uh, and then like, I, I think that was around like when live at Gotham started, like they would come and do auditions and like one, a friend of mine got on and I was like, Oh man, like, and then you, every step you're like, Oh, well he, he got, I, I should, you know, like I want, I, and eventually I think I did that show in 2008 uh, so I've been doing it six years, which is a very reasonable amount of time to do comedy before yeah. you get on TV. You so know. that was the first m- milestone that you achieved. I mean, you have like, l- you know, baby milestones mm-hmm. all the w- all the way. Like, I think I probably got my first paying gig, you know, in 2003 or 2004. Right. And I got my second paying. And when when there's so few and far between, I think I got one in probably like October of 2003, mm-hmm. then one of April 2004. Then eventually <laughs> they're a little more regular. And then eventually I was working every weekend, still couldn't support myself with only what I was making there, but at least working, making, you know, 50 bucks a weekend, right. 100 bucks a weekend. And then when I finally, another, a big milestone was when I got to open for a national act at the, like the biggest club in town, mm-hmm. which was the Comedy Connection. And I got to open for Mike Birbiglia for a weekend. Cool. And uh, and that was like, and then I, that went really well. And so they would have me now be like regularly opening for, like up until that point, it was like uh, another a guy that I'd sort of, I think he'd started like right before me or right around the same time was Joe List. Okay. Yeah. And like Joe List was like opening at the Connection all the time. And like then Nick DiPaolo saw him and they took him on, took him out to open for him at other places. And like Mike Birbiglia actually did that for me also. Uh, like he, he would, he brought me to like Atlantic city to open for him and, cool. uh, help me like in, recommended me to get on shows in New York when I moved there. That's great. Uh, and so that, that sort of, you know, everything starts like avalanching at a certain point, you know, you start out with, you're just this dumb snowflake that nobody likes <laughs> and eventually you pack enough snow around yourself and start rolling down the hill. And it just kind of starts to happen at oh, its yeah. own time. And so, yeah, in like 2006 is when that, that happened on, uh, with Mike Birbiglia, I think is when that show was. And then I, I went to the Seattle competition mm-hmm. and I, that's when I met Rory Scovel and his manager told me to come to this other festival in DC that mm-hmm. she was running. And that's when I got a college booking agent. Right. And that was the thing that enabled me to, in like 2007, 
2008, stop being in school, stop having other jobs, and just make my money mostly from colleges, but also just from comedy in general. I was like, I have enough now. Why were you still in graduate school? I was in graduate school till oh, 2008. Uh, what were you studying? Linguistics. Oh, wow. That's, int- that's kind of heavy. Uh, yeah, but at the time, I had finished all my classes and was just, quote unquote, uh, working on my thesis. And okay. I eventually did finish the thesis. But I, by that point, I was a full-time comedian, and that was the goal. Like, so that was like, that, that milestone happened right around the same time as getting live at Gotham. Like, I, I got out of grad school, I moved to New York, I got that show. Like, the year before, I'd done, like, a competition for Comedy Central that had gone well. Like, mm-hmm. I was the finalist, and so most of the finalists got to be on Live at Gotham the next season. And, and yeah, and then a year after that, I got to do The Tonight Show with Conan, mm-hmm. and then that, I also taped my half-hour special for Comedy Central. And so, yeah, it, all, it was all sort of... You know, just again, sort of just all this snow rolling down the hill. Yeah. And then next year was Last Comic Standing. So it just kind of all happened. Seemed like a very natural progression. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I was at at a certain point and I I think I recorded my first album in 2009. So that was like when I was like, oh, I have an hour of comedy that is valuable at least to this person that wants to record it. And then to Comedy Central that wants to televise half of it. Yeah. And then uh, to Last Comic Standing where I'll do, you know, some small percentage of it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is now, you know, I, don't, I never thought of it as like, this is a commodity that I'm selling or a service that I'm providing. I'm like, but if you want to look at it that way, uh, like, yeah, I, I created something mm-hmm. and now it was sort of bearing fruit. Now, I w- would you describe yourself as goal oriented or no. process oriented? Process, process, hundred percent. So you just the whole time you're just focused on just being better as a comic. Uh, I mean, not even being better. I'm just focused on doing what I care about, doing specific things. Like, I mean, the the ideas that I have, like they, like I can't control what comes into my brain. I control what situations I put myself into. Mm-hmm. I can control like how open I have my eyes and my Your ears. Your attitude towards the things that. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, anything that I think could be an interesting thing, even if not a joke, a lyric, an idea, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just some sort of like a sketch, uh, whatever it is, like I, I record it and then I go back and listen to all the recordings and I, you know, move forward on the ones that I like. And I'm like, ah, and I, I get on stage as often as possible so that I can keep churning the machine of, you know, reality through my idea brain and then out my performance mouth (laughs) it it just seems like you are very much at peace with what you do and that isn't necessarily what the cliche let's say the stereotype of what a comic is oh yeah i'm real original all those all those unoriginal (laughs) cliche miserable not at peace it's it's worked for you well i mean and i I would uh, i'll frame it again as like the of course I'm not, you know, not, I, I don't, I'm certainly, I'm, de- I'm satisfied in some ways. And that, that satisfaction is the penny like mm-hmm. that. And then of course the heads up portion, I'm like, I want to flip the coin as many times as I can to get as many of these bonuses because I'm still, you know, living, still moving forward in the infinite game of life where I do want to, uh, of course, if you're like, do you want to keep making money so that you can eat and pay rent? Yes, but the way that I do that actually is sort of an analogy to a conversation I had after an ayahuasca ceremony with uh, Matt Ruby. Do you know mm-hmm. Matt? I do, yeah. He's a, a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And 
he, we were talking about like getting laughs and like the goal of the comedian is to get laughs. This but, is the exact question I was going to ask you. But yeah. the way to get laughs isn't to say, well, I want laughs. So let's work backwards from there. Right. The way to get to there is to start from yourself, do comedy for as long as you can to make yourself into a comedy doing, you know, either machine or being or just, you know, an elemental force that is yourself and you're like and now i put these things out in the world and they some of them get laughs from some people more some of them get laughs from other people and then you just learn you know another great truth opposite thing like you are uh you're doing it for yourself and you're doing it for the audience like but i think more you're the thing like the audience is the bonus Mm -hmm. like i i do what i want to do Mm-hmm. And then if an audience responds to it, great. If, if enough audiences don't respond to it, then maybe I don't like doing it as much. Well, the question I was going to ask is, how do you know when a show is good? Do you measure it by amount of laughs you got? Because I've been thinking recently that it's, I feel like I did well when I really connected with the audience and made them laugh, obviously. But it's more about feeling like I was present in the moment with the audience. Yeah, I, I would say feeling present. Uh, some of, like... There's two kinds of shows that I would say are good shows in different ways. Uh-huh. Like right now, I have the hour that I'm. If I had to record an hour tonight for my next special, I know basically what I would do. I would, you know, if I had it for tonight, I would have spent a little more time being like, this joke goes first, then it goes to this, and I would plan it out. But I know basically the jokes that go in it. Right. And so if I go to perform at a comedy club where nobody knows who I am, mm-hmm. uh, I, I usually start off trying to like riff a little and have fun and see, like, is this an audience that likes the kind of fun that I like to have off the cuff in general? And if the answer is no, <laughs> then I'll be like, well, then here is the prepared, polished hour that I have, right. and that's all I can do. Uh, or if that doesn't work, then I'm like, well, then I don't know what you want. I mean, then I'll just do whatever I feel like. So but you always start with a little improvisation. In general, yeah. I usually start uh, with something that's in the moment about what just happened, about mm-hmm. what's going on. Like, just, you know, kind of calm and relaxed. Like, maybe I'll tell one joke as sort of like a test. Here's the the joke that's actually kind of an interesting test that I can't do immediately, but will sort of be an indicator of, how much the audience is enjoying the show, even if they're not showing it, yeah. is I'll, I'll say, uh, sometimes after a show, every single person in the audience will come up to me and whisper into my ear, I liked it. Uh, <laughs> and if that gets, I mean, the bigger the reaction that gets, the more people understand that they like what I'm doing, but also that not everyone will like what I'm doing, and that's fine because not everybody can. There's like people who don't like Carlin and Chris Rock and Maria sure. Bamford, and you know, who like every no comedian is for everybody. So that's one kind of good show is when I do a show where I do the jokes that I've honed and polished over the years, and people respond to them positively. Right, and I like you know, but of course I'm sometimes you know I don't want to say that I'm bored with. If I, if I wrote a joke three years ago and it's sort of solidified in place and I now I'm like just presenting, I, I did it. Yeah. Like, here's a thing that I did. Uh, but so well, like my it more, it's power. It can. But I mean, ideally, like I, I do still try to keep adding and polishing and honing so that they do stay sort of living and don't become like a fossil. Right. You I mean, like, shine them up. Presenting. Hey, here used to be the comedy of Mike Kaplan. <laughs> here lies the comedy. Yeah. Here's uh, let me build you a big tombstone. <laughs> But so <laughs> Let like me just some, it off for you <laughs> in in the past several months, like some of my favorite shows to do uh in the moment were ones I did one at this place called Motorco in 
in Durham, North Carolina. I did one at uh, this place called Lost Weekend Video in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I did one at uh, Warehouse Live in Houston. And there might have been one other, but there was like every month from like October, November, December last year, I did one of these shows where it was like not a comedy club. It was just like a really cool place mm-hmm. that like a, a comic who cared or a comics who cared were producing it, invited me. Uh, and like the uh, thus their audience like really came out to know exactly what they were in for, right. either because they were exactly my fans or exactly open minded comedy savvy like in like comedy enjoying fans of what like they knew they got it, it was they, your people they got the idea yeah uh, and just those shows like I think the Houston one was the most recent one where I haven't even listened back to it yet because I I listened back uh, on a little bit of a lag because there's just so many so much to get through right. But I can't wait to hear what I did because I, I remember, I mean, the first five minutes was all riffing about the comedian who had came, who come before me. Yeah. And like, I just sort of wrote jokes about his jokes. Yeah. And you they did were, that to me the other night. It happens. <laughs> uh, and it's, that's like a fun thing to do. And I mean, ideally, I hope that people know that it's, you know, I'm just like, let's have fun. You know, like right. I want, and I think most comedians don't, it's funny. <laughs> the other day I saw a tweet by, I guess I, I won't say who tweeted the initial thing. But uh, so I'll say Chelsea Peretti, who yeah. I love, has uh-huh. a special called One of the Greats yeah. on Netflix, and it is really great. Uh, One of the Greats is a funny thing to call a special uh, yeah. when you're a person who's not George Carlin or, right. you know. Uh, so, and she knows that. That's why she called it that. Yeah. It's a joke. Yeah. Uh, and so it's somebody. Good, it's like a comedy special. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what somebody, another comedian uh, who is a successful comedian. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's funny and surprising that this person didn't, I think, understand the joke. Oh, boy. Was like tweeted like, hey, what are you talking about? You're not one of the like what you're not Carlin or Joan Rivers or Pryor. Like whoever told you yeah. that you should call it that. You should fire them. And then I think Kumail tweet, like, quoted all that and was like, it's tongue in cheek. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the reason that I bring that up, uh, I actually have no idea. What were we just talking about? I know I was telling you about, about shows. About riffing off other comedians. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, that's a situation where I'm like, somebody didn't know the fun that was being had. Right. And so they're like, uh, take comedy seriously. But, yeah, so... <laughs> My goal is always, you know, unless I, um, the only, the only exception to this would be like, if, if somebody goes on before me and I think they're like literally full of hatred and their, you know, their jokes are telling their truths about, you know, not making fun of stereotypes, like, you know, sort of just being like, actually say racist, homophobic, uh, misogynistic, then I might, I would still, my goal would be to be humorous at the expense of those things. Like I never want to, I, I don't hate any person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would certainly, like, I'm not going to be like, thou shalt not do that. But again, my commandments are, uh, here's what I do. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I would say that. I mean, I think <laughs> on this show in Houston, I was like, man, there was like uh, a, a person, one of the comedians was from the Middle East, one of the comedians was black, uh, one of the, one or two of the comedians, uh, actually, uh, I think one of the guy was from India. Uh, it's like the United Nations of comedy, huh? And I was like, man, what a diverse group yeah. of men. <laughs> uh, and they like lost it at that because they were and afterwards one of the comedians was like, Oh yeah, that's that's a thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um and so again, like and people like hopefully it, it's another another great truth opposite. Uh what we do as you know, as comedians, as you know, when if you 
call comedians artists. Right. Like creating art is a serious thing, but mm-hmm. also like I don't take myself like if you're like, hey, you know, I'm like, oh yeah. I mean, I'm not taking myself too ser-. like we both take ourselves, hopefully, like not too seriously and not not seriously enough. Like, you know, the Goldilocks just right version. Well, we kinda we talked to we had Nick Vaderot in here and we were kind of talking about that. Uh like what is the most serious truth? Is it selling telling some really socially expanding joke or just banging on a drum like Andy Kaufman <laughs> speaking gibberish? Oh yeah. I They're mean both very true. There are many true things. Yes, exactly. Some of them are silly and some of them are serious. Uh I want to ask you about um sure. you've talked about it on stage, your open relationship. Yes. Now, you said before you were married. I was. You're not. A, you're divorced now. That's true. So were you in an open relationship while you were married? Uh, only, uh, I'll answer that in a second, but let me just close the tab on the, fi- the previous question because I am obsessive and compulsive in that way to make sure. The reason that, that, show, that those shows were great yes. were because I got to say almost none of what I planned. Like if I, the hour that I have ready to go, you were in the moment. I did almost none of it. I mean, some of the things that I said were not like brand new ideas, but they Mm -hmm. were like, Oh, this is, this makes me think of this story or this thing. Many things, probably half of that Houston show. I'd never said those things on stage before because they were either specific to that moment, that night, that place, that time, those people, but also things that I'm like, Oh, I've never even thought to say this as a joke or I've never formatted it or it was just like the kind of audience that, like not, they won't laugh at anything, but because they're on your side, they'll be like, if there's something there, like we'll, we'll give it to you. Yeah. And so that's like, and I think it's important to do those shows and also to do shows where people don't give it to you because like, if you know, if you, you don't want to get super out of touch and be like, oh, well, I guess anything that I ever could say will be funny. And then people, uh, I'm sure that I have in the past made judgments of like, oh, that person is clearly playing to their own audience right. all the time. And so they can't get out of uh, that, you know, that, that bubble thing. Yeah. I mean, the people that are going to see you in a video store on Valencia Street in San Francisco yeah. are a certain type of person. And, and so I'm glad, you know, I'm I it's sort of a I'm it's a, a thank you over please kind of moment uh, because it's I can't change. I can't change how everybody else is. I can only be who I am and do what I can in my own life. But I'm glad that I do get sometimes audiences that are amazing and the best. And I'd love for that percentage. I'd love for that percentage to be like maximized. And it's a great time to do that because the internet is very easy to people to find you and your brand of comedy. And But also, like I will still be performing at comedy clubs mm-hmm. uh, because that's where some comedy happens and I get booked <laughs> to do it. And sometimes the clubs are full of people who haven't. Like I had a fan write to me. And say, I saw you on America's Got Talent, but you already you already have a Netflix special. Like you already have like all these other late night shows. Like why did you do America's Got Talent? Do you don't you think that everybody who like would like your brand of comedy like already knows about it? Right. And they were like, and I just found you eight months ago. I'm like, well, imagine there's like a a million of you that still haven't found me eight months from now. Exactly. I mean, like there's you know millions and millions of people watch that show. If even like one percent of them could have enjoyed me. Like so many of them, most millions of people, there are billions of people who don't know who I am. Like I, I love that. I'm like, there's a joke by Doug Stanhope uh, where he's like, I'll yell at you for, for not knowing something that I just learned yesterday. (laughs) And I love that. He's one of my favorites. And like, this is like that. This person's like, Hey, how can everyone not know who you are? I just found out about who you are 12 years into your comedy career. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. So yes. So to answer your question, my, 
open marriage. Uh, did I finish? Did I finish the other one? I think I did. I think that's good. Yeah. I, it's yeah. just so much fun to. I think you put a yeah, button on it yeah, perfectly. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just fu- so much fun to say a new thing just in the moment that people respond to. Yes, and, and it's also fun to then go back and listen to that for me and be like, now which of these things can be converted into like you know the capital of future comedy? Right. Uh, but that's all again. The pennies there, and this is all bonus. <laughs> I'm making pennies. Um, that's my two cents. So the point is. Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't been in an open relationship before I met my wife. She was the first person to bring up the idea of polyamory to me. Uh, I, I don't think I'd heard of it before. Your ex-wife did? Yes. Okay. Uh, before we, like when we first started getting together, she wanted to be in an open relationship and I didn't because I had sort of grown up just sort of more conventionally and it didn't make sense and I was worried I'd be jealous and, you know, I was like, no thanks. Sure. We all grew, we all grew up with these societal norms yeah. and assumptions. And that was my nickname, Societal Norm, <laughs> when, that, when I went down to Societal <laughs> Cheers. Into yeah. the bar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, but I remember while I was like married, while I was, you know, with, with that person who was a really, you know, wonderful person, like she introduced me to a lot of like new things that I had noticed. Like she was a queer person. She was, you know, identified as bisexual. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that she wanted to be open was that she'd had a string of relationships where she would be with a guy for a long time, but then like really want to date women. Right. Uh, and eventually at the end of our marriage, which ended not because of this, but just because we turned out to be incompatible for other reasons. Uh, we did try, like she was uh, like, we were both not happy. Uh, being together. And so we did try opening the marriage at the end of it, which I recommend not doing it for that reason. Like as of like, Hey, it could be a band aid, you know, last like, ditch effort. Don't is, have a kid uh, to save right. your marriage. Don't open it up. I mean, open, I think actually opening it is a better potential way to, uh, to do a good thing for your marriage. If that is the, pro- if one of the problems is addressable by that thing. And do, do that before having a kid, please. Yeah. 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 Give that a shot first. <laughs> Um, but did you open it to everybody or did you open it just with conditions like, okay, we're opening it, but you can be only be with women. We had some conditions. Yes. Like she mm-hmm. would date women and she's like, and you can only date men. And I'm like, that won't work for me. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was an interesting thing. But this uh, is the thing I always say with relationships and why I love them so much is that there's no rules. You make the rules. That, and that's, you're the, you're, you're the only two people that make the rules. You're the, the game rules. master it's or great. three people. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or three or four. Who yes, knows? But at the time, yeah. So at the time we did, I try an open thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like she went on some dates. I made out with a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she, she, I think in my memory of it, I told her, like she asked about whether I had been with somebody and I told her I'd, about the situation that I've been in. And that was to her a thing that she didn't want that specific thing happening for a specific reason. Had you, had you set a, set a bunch of guidelines first? Uh, we did, we did set some. Yeah. Uh, like uh, tell me everything or don't tell me anything. Yeah. I think I forget, I forget what we actually, we definitely did lay it out. I don't remember our specific cause this is now like 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we did t- say that we would be like talking about it and checking in and making sure we were both. Should we okay call Michael things. Fox and see if she remembers? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Micah and I had a, a marginal, like we had, we had a, I think our guidelines were, because uh, it was funny, because I was on Last Comic Standing while we were dating, mm-hmm. and to to hear her talk about it now, she's like, I didn't, I didn't want to like limit all of like the road pussy that you could get, right, uh, yeah. but she's like, our our rules were not to sleep with people, but like if you like, you know, she's like, if a if a groupie wanted to blow you in a bathroom, that'd be fine, <laughs> or like if you you know, if either of us like made out with somebody drunk in a bar and like it wasn't like an intimate situation, like that'd be fine, right? Uh, but then yeah, but uh, what would you want to know about it? Um, 
I honestly am fine either way. I think I, I would err on the side of if it's with girls, I'll be happy to know about it. Right. And if with guys, uh, unless there's a specific reason that you want to tell me, like right. I won't, I don't have a problem with it. Like my girlfriend now has told me about, uh, some people that she's been with and guys, uh, both. Okay. And now do you ask for this information or does she volunteer it? Um, if I, like we have sort of an, if asked, will tell uh, that's, uh, that's what I would do. And, but I, the, the girl that I dated before two before her, like my, this, this is my, I'd say most successful, fullest open relationship. And the only other time that I had a really successful, fully open relationship was with this girl a couple of years ago. And her, her guideline for it was that she wanted to know anytime anything happened and that the reason for that was she wanted to just not be worrying all the time. She's like, you know, if I was on the road, you know, two weekends a month, she's mm-hmm. like, is he hooking up with three people every weekend? Is he hooking up with, you know, once a month? And so, the, and the fact of the matter was like, sometimes it was once a month. Sometimes it was a couple people. Right. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't ever like the craziest thing that she could imagine. So it like put her mind at ease right. when I would come home. And then to, while we're together, be like, hey, a thing happened, like I either hooked up with an old girlfriend or I met a new person and I'm not with them. I'm not leaving you. I'm here. I love you. It's great. Um, Would you have to set some sort of boundaries to avoid uh, becoming emotionally attached to somebody else? Not specifically, because with that relationship, uh, it was when we were in New York, we were together and we didn't do other things with people who lived nearby. Right. And if I went away, like... You know, most of the time I'm in a town where I'm not going to be in that town more than once or twice a year. So even if I developed an emotional, I mean, because also to say no emotions doesn't really mean anything. Like I, you have a connection with people. Like when I, when I sleep with somebody or make out with somebody, like I like them. It's usually, it's not usually just like, Hey, faceless bunch of holes, you know? Right, but you can tell like if the emotion starts to grow and you're like, whoa, what's going on? I'm starting to feel an attachment towards this person. I mean, I'm like not a big attachment person in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I've definitely uh, had experiences where like it's, it's one of the things is like my girl, like to talk about my girlfriend now, like I, one of the things that I love about her is that we want basically the same type of relationship that we want the relationship that we have. And it's not to say that, you know, there aren't sometimes like on the very fringes of like what is okay or what is not, or what we want or what would be perfect. Um, well, relationships are never perfect. We should say, no, 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 of course not. <laughs> they're all, they're all infinite games. Yeah. And like some people think that like that they're finite games where they're like marriage, I won, I did it. But you know, ultimately you keep living and you keep being in the relationship and, and you hopefully maintain. you keep throwing that Frisbee farther and farther or closer and closer, whatever you want to do deeper and deeper. Feeding the positive wolf, not the angry wolf. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, and you know, getting to know your your partner's angry wolf and being like, okay, that's fine when that happens, and uh, and here's let's let's have our happy wolves play more. But uh, in this, uh, I think I have something good um, in my relationship that I have now with this person. Like, I one of the things is I just value like I'm not going to find somebody like better like at a certain point the same way that. Like, who's the best comedian? Like, at a certain point, it's subjective. At a certain point, you could say, to me, the best comedian is Louis C.K. I could say, to me, it's Maria Bamford. Somebody could say, to me, it's always Hedberg. Right. You know, like, there's so many people that when you're at the top of your game, like, that's, that, like, there's no, there's no objective truth to who is better at the top. And the same way, like, my girlfriend is 
one of the most wonderful people that I met and I'm happy to know her and like she makes me better and you know all the things that'll make you barf you know like ayahuasca <laughs> and uh and then be better for that uh there, of course, there are other people in the world that if I didn't meet my girlfriend, maybe I would be with them and right. maybe I would have a rewarding relationship with them. But one of the things that's great about my girlfriend is like, you know, she's like my Louis C.K. or my Maria Bamford of mm -hmm. relationships. I'm not like, oh man, what if I was dating Chris Rock? Like, I don't have to because also part of my relationship with my girlfriend is I can be with, in some capacity, these other cool people. Right. I don't have to leave her to be with them. I can just be with them in whatever capacity the same way that you have, if you have a bunch of friends, but some of them are like really close friends, your close friends aren't hopefully threatened if you meet another cool person, be like, hey, are we going to stop being friends? Right. Do you think of her as your primary, as they say? I mean, I don't, I don't care about a lot of language uh, mm -hmm. identifier thing. I don't care about a lot of language, says the guy with the <laughs> linguistics degree. <laughs> uh, when somebody asked me, Mike Drucker once called it a uh, ling linguiscuits degree uh, and then he's like mm, limbiscuits degree uh, my, my I, favorite I have one of those too oh yeah <laughs> Limbist. I like a hard biscuit um, but uh, oh I I mean I would say technically speak yeah if the for what the word primary means yes uh, well I, I'm asking because that is our that is our basic arrangement yes. you, you do consider each other primaries yeah I mean we live together uh, mm -hmm. we are yeah she is the priority as far as relationships go so while you're living together if you're not on the road is it agreed that all right you or her aren't going to sleep over someone else's place uh usually I, th I think that's fair uh I mean, I don't know if I, if she told me that she wanted to, yeah, uh, that would be, I don't think I'd have a problem with it. And you'd be able to sleep okay that night. You're not jealous. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, or if I was jealous, it's okay to be jealous uh, because I know she, like she is coming home, like I have part of why she can do that. But yeah, in general, because of the don't ask, don't tell slash if asked, will tell <laughs> version of things, right. like if she knows that like, like there've been times like when she lived in LA, which is where I, she lived when I met her. Like if I was visiting her, I would assume like, hey, we're we're not gonna like I'm not gonna go looking for other dates or you're not gonna go looking for other dates, probably. Right. But if I would if I had a night full of shows, like she could go on a date and I didn't even know about it. Like right. and I know that that did happen sometimes. Like mm -hmm. I find out later, which is fine. Like I it didn't it didn't affect me then and it doesn't affect me now because it's like, you know, sort of the same way that I'm not jealous of past boyfriends. I'm like, hey, why did you date that guy before you met me? It's like, hey, why did you go on a date with that guy? at a time when it wouldn't have mattered, it couldn't have affected my life at all. Like, right. so that, that's my mentality. But yeah, as far as if we want to keep it so that no, you know, if being discreet, probably, yeah, I won't spend all night out. Is she like, an artist? Uh, she's a musician, yes. Does she, so she tour? Uh, she currently does not tour, but uh, maybe she will at some point. She has an artistic outlet. Yes. That's important, because I always feel like my artistic outlet is my primary girlfriend <laughs> okay that's funny not your comedy well yeah now it's comedy but uh, before it used to be music i understand yeah uh but like that's so satisfying and i see with people that don't have an artistic outlet maybe they put it all on their relationship oh i understand oh yeah, yeah. no she's she's her own person mm -hmm. uh and and she's a great one and uh you know it's it's nice to support each other like i love her music her music is real beautiful mm -hmm. what's her band uh <laughs> casey holt cool K casey with a k mm -hmm. k-a-s-e-y-h-o-l-t look at her stuff on soundcloud it's there now she's hopefully gonna be putting together an album mm -hmm. but it's just beautiful uh layered violin music 
Does she wear her own t-shirts? Uh, we haven't made them yet, but uh, I'll wear I'll wear her t-shirts. So this open relationship is working out. Uh, how do you deal with society's pressure? I mean, I saw on last was it last com- no it was, uh, America's Got Talent. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I saw that and I'd already known that you were in an open relationship, and it was kind of bullshit. The little montage they put together. Oh, they. I mean. The story, the way that they do things. It was such an American Disney love story they created for you. I mean, the I was glad to get to answer. Like the fun part was when like Howard Stern asked me, like, if you get a million dollars, are you gonna, uh, like, are you gonna play the field or are you gonna stick with your girlfriend? I'm like, I'm gonna play the field and stick with my girlfriend. Which and is an honest answer. Oh yeah, but also worked. Seemed like a joke. Yeah, <laughs> yes. great truths, opposites, serious and funny. Um, and but yeah, for the well, the thing that they wanted. Like they, they always have, you know, sort of producers and story people sort of trying to shape things and like sure. trying to find, you know, what is the interesting story? And a lot of the questions they were asking me were like, so your girlfriend, does she call you a lot? You have a long distance thing. She's probably always like nervous and worried. And I'm like, none of this is true. This is absolutely, <laughs> I'm not going to say false things. Right. So like you can, it, like they would have her call me and I'd be like, okay, well, it's great to hear from you. Like, but the, they're like, can you be a little more annoyed? And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not at all. I love hearing from her when we talk to her. Like you have to understand. And so they were like, well, I guess the story is that you love each other and miss each other. And that's why it turned into like, they're like, so can you look sad when you're walking mm. around waiting for it to call? And they put <laughs> sad music behind it. And I'm like, I accept that. Right. Like that's closer to the truth. Like we are, you know, barfingly cute sometimes. <laughs> like that's more true. Uh, I mean, we were both living our own lives, but we definitely were like, you know, I, I went to LA probably more times in the year that she lived there and we were together than any other time that I've ever gone to LA just yeah. because... And I flew her, you know, I didn't... Had you told the producers that you were in an open relationship? I don't think I did. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, they heard it when, when everyone else heard it, when Howard Stern asked me, and whether they believed it or not is fine. Yeah, I'm, it seemed like they took it as a joke. I mean, I also did talk, I do talk about it in my act, uh, mm-hmm. but there's, it's interesting because so many people, so many people are like, oh, I think everything you say is true, or I don't know if anything you say is true. Right. Uh, so, but yeah, I think one of the jokes that on the, my first appearance was also just how I'm in a long distance open relationship. Like, it's weird because, you know, the way that when you watch The Daily Show, uh, they're making, their setups are reality. Like, what they t- they're taking reality and being like, and now we're going to make jokes out of this. And nobody ever watches The Daily Show and like, I wonder if that really did happen in Syria. Like, are you going to make up something about <laughs> Syria just to do a fun joke about how Syria sounds like cereal? Probably not. Right. That's yeah. my new podcast is uh, what's going on in Syria. <laughs> cereal. Um, but, and similarly for, I mean, the, the problem, not, not the problem, but the thing, the reason why people don't assume that for all comedians mm-hmm. is because sometimes comedians do make things up. Sure. Like sometimes there are people who tell, you know, true stories and there are people who tell non-true stories or play a character or just have things exist in the world of a joke that right. like, you know, Dan Mintz might tell one joke about how he has a wife and then another, how he's single and another, how he's a girlfriend all in the same five minute, like Letterman set. Right. Uh, and that's fine because he's just like, each joke is its own world there. Like for me, if you ask me, I'll tell you the truth. Uh, that pretty much almost everything that I say is true uh, unless it's obviously not true. Like, and those will only usually be the punchlines right. or like some, some silly things that also, you know, like they the say surprise twists, great fiction, like, you know, a lie that tells the truth. Like, so you can learn about my life with common sense yeah. and listening to my act. Do you, do you get any flack from society or family about the open relationship? My family doesn't really know that much. I would talk to them about it, but mm-hmm. like I don't, uh, I mean, 
it's funny because they can also like watch my act. I don't like explicitly, you know, like my mom learned what mushrooms are by watching a show last year. Right. Uh, like I'm not going to, I don't like just volunteer. Like when I hang out at lunch with my mom, like, oh, so I did a bunch of ayahuasca last week. <laughs> uh, or I went on these mushroom trips or like, so I slept with a girl who wasn't Casey, you right, know? Right. Uh, but because you know, it's sort of like parents are on like they're not my they're not my friends, you know they're they're my parents, yeah. they're and my they're, yeah, they're my family. Know, it's on a need to know basis. Yeah, but what about the 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 societal norms of like marriage? I mean, you could still get married and have an open relationship. Obviously. I could. Uh, I mean, neither of us really wants to get married. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like my I get I don't even call it flack uh, certainly, uh, but from my grandmother, my grandmother wants me to be married and have. Right. Give her great grandchildren. Like I'm like grandma. Come on, thank you over, please. Like you know, you have a grandchild, you have a daughter, you have a life. You're there. You know, I'm I'm not trying to force my anything on anybody. But I I, I started taking Tai Chi uh, lessons a year year and a half ago. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And one of the things that I thought was cool is like you know in Tai Chi you you know if somebody's coming at you real hard you don't push back at them equally hard. You, you like sort of slot, you know, tilt your Use body their force yeah, to defeat them, let them fly by you. Right. And so similarly, like if my grandmother comes at me or if society or whoever comes <laughs> at me with like, Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, that's what you think. I'll, right. that's fine. Like it doesn't affect me. It's, I don't, if you think a thing, if, if you're not a person who I res- I mean, I, I don't, not that I don't respect my grandmother, but on this issue, right? Like, Oh, like I'm not going to get married and have a kid because you want me to. Like you're not an expert in this part of my life, so I don't respect. Not that I don't respect your opinion. I don't care about your opinion. Your opinion isn't valuable to me. It's what works for you. It doesn't work for me. And let's say take like you know the biggest societal straw man. Let's say mm-hmm. uh, I would normally say straw person, but I wanted this is you know uh, an ignorant, so it's a man. Uh, so like somebody who's like, that's not the, like, you're living wrong. You're doing the wrong things. You shouldn't be doing that. Every, here's the ways that you should be different. Uh, like, why would I care? Like, you don't resonate with me at all. Like, why should I care? Like, by, by the very nature of what you're telling me, you're telling me that I shouldn't listen to you. Like, if you're telling me things that I don't agree with or believe that I've thought about, like, I'm not saying that I should, like, I have some friends who I respect who I disagree with about certain things. Like, I have friends who aren't vegan. I have friends who aren't, who are, sure. like, staunchly monogamous. Like, I have one friend who, like, I got into a really, like, interesting conversation about because I'm like, you're a smart, funny person. Yeah. That's the sound of the apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, God, God is speaking now. Oh, yeah. So, sorry, guys. I guess my friend's right. So my, my, my smart, funny friend yeah. uh, who, like, believes that the devil is here. Uh, my smart, funny friend who, like, is like, I would never be in an open relationship. And I think that everyone who's in an open relationship uh, is damaged or flawed in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, well. God is yeah. angry. I... I respect my friend. I love my friend, but I'm like, that is like patently false. Like there, there's plenty of people who are, you know, who, who among the world is undamaged. Number one. Exactly. Uh, and who's, who, there's, is there any relationship to put on a podium and say that is the way it's done? I mean, like for people who you can point to all of the open relationships that you've heard of fail because maybe they failed publicly or you found out about them because they failed. You don't know about the ones that are successful because right. so many people just have them 
and just keep having them and quietly succeed. And similarly, you know, with the failure rate of monogamous relationships, nobody looks at that and says like, well, I guess monogamy is not working or you can. And then like, I'm not telling anybody how to live their lives. I'm like, this is working for me. And another coin analogy is like when people give you advice, like say if you ever have to decide between two things, uh, you can flip a coin and then look at it. And if you're like, oh man, I I wish it was the other thing. Well then, do the other thing, right? Right. Uh, you, the coin's not your boss. Like you can, you can use it, use the coin as a tool to determine what you actually feel. If you thought it was fifty-fifty, turns out it wasn't. Yeah, that's how I feel about astrology. It just gives me different ways to think about things. I mean, and that's the the same way that uh, if anyone ever gives you advice, like you know, if there's somebody that you care about and respect, maybe you'll put more weight on it. Mm-hmm. But whatever the words are that they're saying. If you, you can use those as the coin. If you're like, I don't like that, then don't do it. If you're like, I, that makes sense. That resonates. Then do it. Yeah. Uh, so when my, you know, when I take things from people who like, I listen to people that I respect and care about and who say things that are interesting and thoughtful. And then I, you know, feed it into my, my brain and make my decisions. Your meat brain. My meat (laughs) robot. (laughs) Right. Uh, but yeah, so to, to close out a parenthesis, a parenthesis from a while ago, uh, talking about my girlfriend, she, I mentioned that ayahuasca gives, has, like, provides these sort of, you know, contexts for life lessons, mm-hmm. like life coaching, as some might say. Yeah. And then my girlfriend called the other thing that it does sometimes uh, death coaching. Because it does sometimes feel like, oh, this might be what it's like when we die. Like that our, you know, DMT floods our brain mm-hmm. and then we feel this disassociation. Like, you know, our, at some point our body, our molecules will, you know, disseminate back or not even back, just, you know, separate into the rest of the universe slash reality. Yeah. And like, you know, everything that we are will still be not, you know, not in this collection, but elsewhere in lots of things so the feeling you know that zach had when he was like i don't know what zach is like maybe you know maybe we won't have a conscious voice and be able to feel that way right but the feelings of you know that go that run through the molecules that we are like the electricity will exist the energy will exist yeah the matter will exist and we're like oh like zach had a thing he said once he's like you know this could all be completely you know made up or you know it's it would be preposterous for us to have this experience and be like, we got it. We right. know how it works. But so he's like, if somebody asked me, uh, hey, do you know what happens after we die? He's like, I definitely don't know. But if I do know, here's exactly what it's like. Nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's certainly, so yeah, I would never, uh, like, I mean, there's no way anybody can say for sure, here it is. But I will, if I, if, if when I die, like I have, like, uh, I start hearing songs and like experiencing the things that I've experienced at these ceremonies. Be like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. That's a, uh, that's a very interesting way to think about it. My father had an outer body experience, a near death experience. Hmm. And he explained it the same way you hear many people explain it. The white light floating upwards. And he saw the car accident and we we're all in the car. Wow. And he saw the car without a hood. So he can kind of see. And he remembers like becoming conscious and consciously trying to put himself back. Like he was being pulled away. Hmm. He's like, no, it's not my time to die. It's not my time to die. And then boom. He woke up in the hospital. Wow. The, uh, the thing also that might be happening, I think, if, because 
as I understand, like, DMT was flooding his brain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do think that that's probably what was happening. Yeah, uh, and that that does because like white lights and those kinds of experiences, like either the heavenly realm or if you're not experiencing a white light, one of the others, uh, like sort of you're in that space, and you know you're probably you're still alive at that moment. Like he hadn't literally left his body, right? Uh, most likely, I mean, well, he I saw it. Yes, but who knows if it was an hallucination or what? Exactly. Uh, and so, the idea that I, that I mean, this isn't my original idea necessarily, but the fact that you know, on some psychedelic you know experiences, there will be this time dilation. Right. Like you could, if you when you do an ayahuasca ceremony or if you do mushrooms, if you like, you have a, a time pass, and then you look. If you looked at a clock, you might be very surprised to learn that it was only thirty seconds or a minute or five minutes. Or but you thought you were there for you know, hours, days, whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever it is like, you know, dream time. Mm-hmm. And so it's possible that, you know, when, when you, when you die and DMT floods your brain, uh, the, the experience of that time will slow down. And as it stretches out to, you know, near, you know, it, the longest possible, you might, you know, go deeper and deeper into that last moment that you're alive, which can be broken down infinitely yeah. into smaller and smaller moments. So if you're experiencing, you know, the idea of heaven or hell or purgatory could all be provided just by, you know, the hallucinogenic nature of the stuff that's in our brain. So neat. You're, you're very inspiring and I like how uh, liberated you are. Oh, I appreciate and, it. And uh, I think you're doing Tai Chi to the world. It's, <laughs> it's great. Just getting out of the way. <laughs> you are, and but you're also moving forward. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly moving forward in time. If time exists. Oh, yeah. I mean, probably. It's, uh, it, it seems seems like it does. So uh, you're right. If it doesn't, then I guess I'm not going anywhere. We've spoken a long time, and uh, the gods are oh, yeah. creeping in on us. Mm-hmm. Is, did we miss anything? Is there anything else that... Uh... I, I just have one, one final question. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about ayahuasca with you and with some other guests. Why doesn't the general population know of this? I mean, I think that peop- it is sort of like trending more now yeah. than it... Than it has been like yeah. there are places I've heard about like a retreat opening in the Northwest where people can come for like tons of money. Uh, well, it's still illegal is one reason. Oh yeah. Th- I mean, but it's interesting because everybody has heard of a lot of other illegal things, mm-hmm, true. but also there are these, there's tons of plants in the jungle that like I haven't even heard of, but I know that they're now like, Oh wow, there's this. Have you heard of Kumbo? Uh, I have heard of it. Mm-hmm. It's it also has DMT. Is that? It sounds similar to ayahuasca, but it only lasts an hour. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, it's not. I mean, number one, it's not for everybody. It doesn't have to be like it's. Uh, you know, we all and it's not necessarily for anybody. Like you, if you want it, and it sounds like you can't. I think there's certain brain uh, like medications that, like, if you're on certain antidepressants, it uh, it counteracts the effects mm-hmm. and like uh if you have dissociative disorders i think they mm-hmm. recommend not to do it so like i wouldn't i i've often said like i'm like everybody should try mushrooms but maybe that's not true either like i'm like again i'm not going to tell anyone what to do i'm gonna be like i've done this and i've gotten value from it some people are like well why do you do it multiple times like what every like i've like i said i've never done it and been like that one was a waste even i think there was one t- i was about to say often there's like a a really nice arc of like ending up being like, ah, in this blissful place. But there was one time where I started off really calm and then ended kind of agitated. But then the next day when I was talking to Zach about it, he had been there as well. And he'd had like the reverse. 
And it sort of was like, wow, I sort of, the, the end of the journey was the next day yeah. where that's another sort of like life thing that I've often found like a similar framing to my happy wolf thing is like, there are always going to be, you know, ups and downs. You're always, you're either going to have to un, unbury your car or you're going to have to do something else. There's always going to be unpleasant parts of life, you that's know, life, yeah. like, uh, so you, I just see those things as like the middle parts. I'm like, oh, I got to uncover my car and now it's done. And now I got to do this. And now that's done. You know, mm-hmm. another bad thing and a good thing. Whereas you could also have the exact same life arc and be like, oh, good thing. But then another thing, a uh, good thing. Oh, and another thing to ruin that. Right. Like I like, you know, obviously again, if you, there are sadnesses, if you lose people, if you have uh, a brain chemistry that is more challenging to deal with than mine, because I'm certainly, I've gotten, I've not one, but I've done pretty well in the brain chemistry lottery. Yeah. Uh, and then I can keep, you know, now compounding upon that and like mm-hmm. uh, growing the interest there. Um, Would you say there's less chance of having a bad time on ayahuasca than, say, mushrooms or acid? I, I don't feel equipped to answer that. Okay. Uh, I mean, for myself, acid is my least favorite experience of those. Mm-hmm. I've only done it like once and a half. Okay. Uh, and compared to mushrooms, it just felt like it felt like. <laughs> Like the drug was being like needier, like, look at me, I'm bending your furniture. (laughs) I'm like, "Uh, okay, I get it. I'm on a drug. Is there anything? What else? Yeah. Uh, Whereas like mushrooms were like the first thing that I really loved as far as uh, mind altering things. Other than like food, which is also mind altering. Uh, Just doesn't quite last as long, unfortunately. (laughs) But uh, you can eat a lot. But, uh, you know, mushrooms. But like drugs like Molly or ecstasy, you're not really going to have a bad time unless you get bad. Ecstasy or that bad. makes sense. I mean, I guess the thing that I like about ayahuasca is when I've done it, it's with a, you know, it was created by this man or his sons that he trusts. Right. Uh, and like, he, he's like, it, uh, there's only two ingredients. It's, uh, you know, this one vine and this one uh, leaf. And he's like, it's organic and vegan. And, and it's uh, been around for thousands of years. Oh yeah, it's been uh, pretty pretty well time tested. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I feel like in it, it's the safest, it's the most controlled environment to lose control mm-hmm. of of your brain state, right. which is what I think a lot of people worry about. Like, oh my god, I would, what would I do? I'm like, well, the effects come and the effects go, and that's life. Like you know, life comes and life goes. Yeah. Uh, so while it's here. Do Tai Chi to uh, keep it out of your way. Yeah, I mean, and you don't even have to do it. You can just take that analogy. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to do Tai Chi, you can. But I, the most Tai Chi thing that I do now is uh, I stopped taking Tai Chi. So, because I was lazy slash busy. Two great opposites. Well, you could just read about it. Uh, oh, yeah, you definitely can. You can listen about it on a podcast. You can do a lot of stuff. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Did I answer your question? I don't remember. Yes, you did. Thank you. (laughs) I learned a lot from this. Thanks so much for uh, talking to us. It's fun. Oops, sorry. I hit that. It's fun to talk. Uh, So thank you for having me talk. Yeah. Let's escape before the roof caves in. (laughs) Can do.